Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Everybody and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of Beautiful British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pender, and I'm Zachary Adamizenheimer. And we knew it had to happen at some point. The Whitecaps had to lose their unbeaten record. Fortress Sandy is no more. The sandcastle has collapsed in amongst everybody. They've fallen to their first defeat of the season and it was a pretty lacklustre performance really in this one. They didn't really seem to click into their, their top gear at any stage of this match. We will delve into that game against Colorado in this episode. We'll be looking around what happened in MLS West this week and a few other stories around MLS. And in the second half of the show, we're actually going to be focusing on refereeing this week, which is apt because there's a few refereeing decisions that I'm sure we'll talk about from tonight's match. But we've got some good audio coming up from Howard Webb, Ishmael Elfath and a few other people as well. But before we get into all that, we're going to start the show the way we've been starting most of the shows this year. If you're a regular listener, you know, it's the gift that keeps giving. It's Steve's Christmas present. And I keep describing it as that. And I kind of had a thought tonight that that's maybe a bit unfair on Zach, because Zach's gift to me is also the gift that keeps giving. Diabetes, in the case that that Zach has given me, it's just a, a ton of UK chocolate and candy. He's now made me like Toblerone. I never liked Toblerone before. Now I do. So thank you for that. And thank you for the presents. You will be getting your Christmas present soon because I've ordered a second present for you that is now on its way over from the UK. It's something that I believe you can't get in Canada and I think you'll both like it. But we'll get to that. Let's kick things off. We're going to be opening another pack from the 2011 Upper Deck MLS Card Pack. Any new listeners, Zach and me are combining our our cards, putting together a best start in 11, seeing what we can get, and let's start with Zach this week. Who have you got in your pack? Did As I get my open here. I can see who your first one is. I've already got her. You already have it, bench. It is the, what, who's the, oh, the Western New York Flash's own, Burnaby's own, Christine Sinclair. Oh, now are you going to put her into your starting eleven? I might have to. 
Mm. Well, my first card from the Portland Timbers. More, more. It's Ryan Poor. Oh, I remember him. He played in the USL, man, for them. This guy's still playing in the league, and I don't know if he's back on this team or not. You guys can tell me. Andy Nahar. I think I, he is. Yes. He might be on DC United. He, he was on the bench of the game yesterday, then, I think. Well, they certainly needed him on the pitch. We'll come to that later on. Continuing my Cascadia feel of this pack, I've got a sounder. Defender, James Riley. Oh, classic sounder. Uh, next one is, man, this is, I think this is a Michael pack. Because here's a player I would put in my starting 11, but you already have him. Uh, scoring legend in MLS. The uh, San Jose and Houston Dynamo's Brian Ching. Ah, I mean, he may fall out of my team at some point, but not looking at who I've got in, in this card. Uh, I've got a lady next. She plays for some team that I can't quite read the, the name of. Boston, I think it is. Boston Leslie, Breakers. Boston Breakers, that could be what it is. I really need to fix the lighting in this room. It's Leslie Osborne. Next, I have uh, here former Revolution player. Uh, here he's FC Dallas midfielder. You guys remember Daniel Hernandez? Big dude? Vaguely. A little bit, yeah. I think he was a holding mid, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think so. I've got a guy that was an MLS veteran. DC United. He's a forward. Santino Caranta. Oh, yeah. He, yeah, he was uh, like he an open draft pick or yeah. something. Got a few goals. His 10-year total on this card was... 26 goals and 25 assists from 159 appearances. It's not dislodging my front line yet, anyway. I have another guy who Michael already already has. I don't think he's in your team. I don't think he'd break my team. He definitely would break my subs, but uh, it's the Columbus Crew's Eddie Gavin. Oh, yes. Well, I have a super draft pick next. He's an English footballer. Oh. He is the younger brother of Derby County, an England forward, Wayne Rooney. Oh. It's John Rooney. Good old John. From Liverpool. Oh, last but not least in my pack is another uh, long-time MLS uh, striker, Chris Pontius. Oh, that, that's a good one. He... He can play forward, I think. Mm. Yeah, he's listed as a forward, yeah. And my last one, a defender. I don't think he's going to break into my team, although he was the Galaxy the Defender of the Year in 2007. Get ready for an erection. It's Ty Harden. <laughs> oh, he played for TFC later. Yeah. Yep, he's on his TFC colours there. So that's our pack for this week. Not a very exciting one. I guess you've got Christine Sinclair. Christine Sinclair, man. Are you going to insert her into your team? Who do I have there now? Uh, I don't know. It's your team. Oh, yeah. I have uh, oh Juan Pablon, Hal, and Fabian Espindola. I don't know if Christine would suit, uh, would would, uh, would uh, link well with those two, with one of those two. And as I keep saying, untested but, in this, this league. But she is the greatest goal scorer of women's football, right, of all time? Yeah. So. It, it would be an interesting test to see how she would perform with, with all these other 
players around her. She probably gets some better service and some help, but she doesn't really get in the Canadian team a, a lot of the time. I think she's fancy the ball, the the passes from golden balls. You know, mm. I think that would help. And talking of women's football, if you haven't listened to it yet, or if you're not a subscriber to our Extra podcast, we've got a good chat with Harjit Jahal in the latest Extra podcast, breaking down Canadians' path to the Tokyo Olympics, who they're going to be playing, and how they are looking so far. So check that out if you're a subscriber, you'll have the link already. And if you're not a subscriber, check aftn.ca to find out how you can be one. It's only $3 a month or $30 a year. Help support AFTN. But let's get now into the football chat. We're going to be starting looking at, at the Whitecaps' loss against Colorado. They've got their Rocky Mountain Cup off to a bad start. I, I don't know if they're going to lift that silverware this year. We are pushing hard for them to be included in it. But a 1-0 defeat tonight, and we're recording this right after the game. This was a match between two teams who so far this season have shown that they've been most dangerous at set pieces. That's something I, I asked Mark about during the week. He said it's certainly going to factor into the game. And it was perhaps fitting then in that case that the goal that decided it, the only goal of the game, was a free kick. It was a set piece. It was an absolute cracker from Diego Rubio, a kind of unstoppable one. don't think you'll see many better free kicks in MLS this year. But... Yes. Just the underside of the bar. Yeah, I mean, it, Max didn't really have much of a, a chance with it, but we'll get into that. We'll get into some of the other talking points from the game, but just a, a quick summary, first of all, guys. We'll start with you, Steve. What did, what did you make of that one? I was nervous about this game when I saw some predictions uh, from another chat uh, that we're in. Um, uh, when I saw that, I go, oh boy, this doesn't look good for the Whitecaps. Yeah, everyone was pretty confident in that chat. Yeah. Um, we were wrong. I, 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 I think for 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 the talk of not make wanting to make very many changes, I wasn't really happy with the changes we made. MDS, um, it's not the players on like I'm not a huge problem with the players that were on the pitch. It's just their positioning. I yes. thought uh, uh, that was my biggest issue there. Um, and we, I guess we could talk. Do you want to talk about that right now? Or? Yeah, because I like that. Because the only change of personnel was Kaya Alejandra came in, but was playing a very high up role, high up in the pitch, which is and, not his his position. And we we talked several times, and we kind of joked several times when he brought in. Let's hope that we don't try and turn him into a number ten because he's not a number ten, and he wasn't really playing as a ten, but. I mean, he played that, that allowed Tybert to come into the middle because Michael Baldissimo had picked up a knock in training and wasn't deemed to, to really start this game. And then but, that led to us having Caicedo and Dahomey as the, the two wingers. It, it didn't, but, didn't work. But I did, but if you, okay, if you're bring, bringing that, you know, Baldissimo is not available, why not put just do a straight swap for the formation wise and put Kyle? Because not only um, did you uh, put, uh, uh, a weakness in that the two that were in front of that back end because nobody was really able to get the ball up the pitch. But then because you have a strong winger on the left side, they're basically uh, nullifying Gutierrez. And Gutierrez wasn't able to perform and, and get up the pitch because there was no need for him because there was no... I just feel like their strength down the middle in the first two games was very beneficial. And they basically weakened that because of that. I thought Kyle, if he played a little bit deeper in the pitch, he would have been able to provide 
service to um, uh, uh, Cavallini and Dahomey. And I think the what wings would have been fine. They would have worked themselves out. So I, I, I think the, the mistake was there in the lineup. What, what did you make of things, Zach? Yeah, well, I mean, last week, I mean, I, I predicted they were going to lose last week. You did. You were the only one that did that. Which, I mean, I predicted losses, I think, in all three matches. So you had a, you know, a broken... At some point, you were going to be right. Brought right twice a day. Yes. Um, but uh, but then I messaged you guys. I think they, they, they sent her like an email to, to people on, on Friday or whatever it was saying undefe- undefeated Whitecaps, you know, take on Colorado Sunday or whatever. And I was just like, yeah, I was like, they're definitely going to lose them for sure. I, well, I, I you, just... you, ex- you expect them to do that. That's their job. They're trying to hype up the team. So they're, they're trying to, that, that's promotion. Yeah. Well, that's, well, I don't, I don't blame them for that. Who are they promoting it to? No one's going to be turning up. Yeah. It just, no, it but just... to, to view it on TV, they, they, that helps their... I, I know. It's like the, the East Fife commentators had been going on about, because there was nothing to play for in our last home game of the season. So it's like, we're, we're trying to keep our undefeated home record that's lasted since 2019. They kept banging on about it, and obviously we lost. And we're all like, well, that's good. At least they'll stop going on about that. So maybe it's good to get that that defeat out of the way. But it felt to me very lacklustre. I mean, there was the odd spark. I mean, if we're talking about gears, they never really reached, reached fourth or fifth gear. At best, you could say third. And in the first half, in the, the opening minutes in particular, they were kind of like stuck in first or, or, or second gear. I Neutral. Mean, yeah. De- defensively, they, they were let off the hook by some big saves from Max Cripot and some poor finishing from Colorado. Shin Yashiki forced a save from Cripot four minutes in. He was denied again by Cripot in the 15th minute. Three minutes later, he had a header that went just past the, the far post when he really should have got that on target. But that third one in particular just ghosted in on the back. He was given Gutierrez and the Caps defence a torrid time out there and they were really fortunate that, that they hadn't got punished by it. And, I mean, he was having a field day out there. I want to come back to a little bit what Steve said about the, the midfield setup. Steve, did you think that um, the that in the not having Baldissimo in the midfield, having Tiber there, do you think that invited more pressure in the middle of the field? Because I also I, I, I found it strange the way he set them out. Like there was this big talk, we're going to be four four two all year, and in game three, it's not four four two, right? Yeah, they're, they're fitting players in, and I agree with you both that they could have MDS and the coaching staff could have said. Yeah, we're gonna stay with this. We're gonna put Caillou in for Baldissimo, and we're gonna, uh, you know, bring in an, another winger and keep that consistent kind of shape. And I think that I think that little change to what I would call a four-two-three-one. And Michael, even though you can say he wasn't playing a ten, but he was playing in the spot of a ten. So, yes. You know, he's yeah. not, that's not maybe his role in the team. He's in the spot of it, and so it's hard not to see him through that lens at least partially. And so it just. Yeah, I agree with you. The whole thing felt a little bit off. Yeah, I, like, I don't know if because of those changes, that is why like Gutierrez didn't have that support in front of him that Tiber had been given him. I, I didn't like moving Tiber into the middle. I would agree I would have brought Alessandri in and then try something else on the wing or try a different formation. Like if, if Derek Cornelius was good to go, why not put him in the centre of defence and move Andy Rose into the, the midfield? Something like that, even. 
But 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 why not put just leave Kyle in the middle yeah, for right, yeah. straight up for Baldissimo? Yeah, Tyber was not having a bad time, bad games out up on the left wing. He was doing his performance where he was playing a defensive left winger. Yeah, and he, he was. It was because of how he was playing that was allowing Gooty to get forward and exactly. having that defensive cover. And yep. I think that is what then caught him out because like Shinya Shiki, it was as if he had his cloak of invisibility on. He was just like ghosting in, and nobody was picking him up. But I mean that they, they survived all that, and you thought, oh well, it's a lot of layoffs. Maybe this is is going to be their lucky day. And then they had their best chance of the game. Twenty one minutes in. Caicedo pounced on a terrible, like sloppy distribution from from Yarbra in the the Rapids goal. A, a loose kick out. Caicedo pounced on it, went round Yarbra. But by that time, three Rapids players had kind of got on the goal line. But the, the goal was still there for the begging. Poor placement. You could argue maybe a poorly hit shot as well, but definitely the placement was poor. You kept it low when there was guys on the line when the top corners were kind of begging. And that was what proved to be a, a very costly miss in the end. Yeah, it's just, uh, I agree. Like, I, I was just shocked at the where he put the ball. Like, he could have put it anywhere, and he put it in the worst spot. Yeah. Like, if you're going to put it on net with no keeper in there, you put it up a little higher. So that way, you know, the if you put it right on the ground, the, the defender is going to easily be able to cover with his feet. If you put it higher... Worst case scenario, he tries to handball it or something like that. Um, so I, it, it's fine. They should have still. I, I agree with you there that they shouldn't have been their only chance. They should have had m- multiple chances after this. Like it, it, the uh, them missing this chance is not the reason they lost the game. Well, I mean, it, it was the first of three chances that kind of got saved or stopped the on, on on the goal line. But I mean, yeah. that was that definitely Zach. Oh. You have to have do as as Steve says anywhere but where he placed it. So, yeah, Steve, I'm misunderstanding. Did you say that wasn't the reason they didn't get any points in the game? No, I'm just saying it wasn't the main reason that they didn't they didn't lose this game. The main reason was they just were lackluster. They should have been able to create way more chances than that. Like, yeah, I, you can understand somebody getting a ball saved off the line, but if you're not being able to create enough chances... You're those, you know, a miss one missed chance is not the reason why you lose a game. And it was a chance that was created by opportunity. It wasn't even like a chance that was created for from open play by the White Caps as well. I, I think Colorado will be working a lot on their back passes and they're playing out of the back this week. But yeah. I, I don't know, Steve. I think it's kind of a both end. Like you're right, they 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 didn't create that enough quality chances throughout the match as a whole for sure, which has been a struggle the whole year. Their best chances have been from set pieces. But I would also say when I look back on the game, I'd say that is a moment that cost them the thing because it was such a wide open, like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying it's not the only reason they lost the game. It's one of the reasons, but it's not the only reason. Okay. That's fair. But for me, it's like a high reason. Cause I mean, the XG on that first, the first one uh, with uh, Caicedo, like that, that has to be, you have to score that. Yeah. But this is a Colorado defense that has let a lot of chances in. And if you're not able to create chances against them, enough chances, like you need to, you're sure you need to bury the chances you get, but you need to create way more chances than they did. I don't disagree. They need to create more chances, but that there was no better chance in the game than that. Okay. okay. That needed, like that needed. Okay. Be- I'll leave it at that. That, the bit, that was like my big disappointment, though, was the lack of chances created because I watched their game last week, Colorado-Austin. That's the second half in particular, 
Austin's speed of play, it, they, they tore the, that Colorado defence apart. They had them all at sea. They forced Danny Wilson in a couple of bad mistakes. And you're thinking, oh, the way that Austin play are the way that we know the Whitecaps front three can play. I was expecting the same. And I, I don't know what it was. And like Mark DeSantis talked after the game that he's going to kind of analyse a few things and give it a bit of time after the game to kind of mull on it and look at the tape. But the, the, the front three had nothing going really. They didn't click. There was a couple of times in the second half they maybe got a, a, a few things going. But on the whole, what I was expecting from them was what Austin had done in the second but, half. Now, you might but, have to but, give Colorado credit for learning from that, but we didn't rise to the occasion. But, but Austin had people that can supply service True. from the deep end. And where did you have – what player was going to supply that service? There was nobody. Yeah. So that was the biggest the, – like, obviously, Baldissimo was there. He would have been able to spray passes to the wings. If uh, Kyle was playing a little deeper, he would have been able to spray passes. But nobody else was there. Yeah, Caicedo was probably our best creator today. And there was a number of times that he did send balls into the box and there was nobody there for it. And I'll, I'll come to that later on as well. But but then we get to the, the decisive moment of the game, the only goal of the game, 26th minute. Diego Rubio, fantastic free kick. In off the bar, Max Cripol. I don't think he could have got to I don't think many keepers would have got to that. It just seemed a absolutely perfect free kick. I don't know if Max was maybe expecting it to go to the other side, but what a strike. Uh, my issue there on that free kick uh, was the opposite of what happened to Seattle last week where everybody was planted on the ground. Now, one player where the ball was going over the uh, wall even tried to, there was like a one-inch lift or whatever. That's oh, all I never noticed that. Yeah, check the replay. Uh, the where the ball goes over, I don't know if they would have got to it, but nobody even made an effort to get off the ground. And I think that, for me, that was the main reason. I could have maybe I missed saw it, but I that's what I saw. Which is which is kind of frustrating, right, Steve? I I agree with you uh, that, that that is disappointing for a team that spends so much time on on set plays. Like we know they spend a considerable amount of time on set plays attacking, that they wouldn't be better set up. For defending because you're right well by the nature of it the defenders have to defend our set plays that we're practicing well, exactly. so <laughs> yeah but it was a deserved lead i mean i don't think anybody at that stage of the game could have denied that colorado probably deserved to be ahead with it the chances that that they had i still felt confident though that it just took maybe a bit of reorganization a bit of change of personnel and the white caps would get something going and just have something but it just it, it never really came there were some sparks in the second half I, I want to talk about the incident that happened a few minutes after the goal though which was Lucas Cavallini getting the yellow card and then it got referred for video review but when I saw the replay I thought why are they reviewing that to me it was never a red card but Cava probably didn't help himself by... I, I don't even know that it was for the initial jump in this, the trailing arm. He kind of gave a little push to his face afterwards. And I don't know if that's what they called the review for. I don't think it was a red card. But he doesn't help himself in situations like that. He's got to learn. Yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, I felt like when I saw the slow-mo replay... 
and I saw his hands touch the guy's face, I thought, oh, it's like he's giving Toledo an excuse to send him off. And the fact that they were looking at it, even though I didn't think it should, like, should be a sending off, I thought, oh, they're going to send him off because why else would they want him to look at it and whatever. So I was kind of yeah. surprised at the outcome that Toledo was actually like, oh, no, okay, I see. I see. Just yellow card's good enough. Let's keep going. Um, but you're right, Michael. I think we've talked about this with uh, Kevin in the past. He has to be smarter in MLS about how he uh, conducts himself, how he controls his emotions, uh, you know, and his whole body. What, what did you make of it, Steve? I thought it was just a Kava being Kava. And, uh, and unfortunately, I'm sorry, fortunately for him, he wasn't deemed as being malicious because uh, um, I could see some MLS referees actually giving a red card for that. Well, I mean, obviously, Alan Chapman thought it, it was worth looking at in review. And I just to, to touch on that, and we're going to be talking about VAR and refereeing and stuff later on in the show, but Greg Petrie on Twitter raised an interesting point because a couple of times during the game, Stephen Caldwell was going on about, oh, the, the assistant referee thinks that's a red card or, oh, the, the assistant referee thinks that's the wrong decision there. Now, it doesn't matter what they think. They're not making the decision. They're just saying to the referee in charge, in this case Toledo, I feel you might want to have another look at this. So it's not that they're making the decision saying, yeah, that should be a red card. It's just like, now you might want to look at this just to see what you think. And I think it actually takes a, a ballsy referee to look at it after being called over and say, no, I, I think I'm right. You could argue it's an arrogant referee as well because it is Toledo, but it's it was an interesting one. But obviously, as Steve said, some referees would look at it differently because Alan Chapman, who's one of the best referees I feel in MLS, said, no, you might want to have a look at this because there was contact with the face. And I definitely think the little bit of after, the shove after, might have been the thing that he was really wanting him to look at. Maybe it wasn't clear and obvious enough. The only other real thing to talk about in the first half, it was another Whitecaps chance. It was another one off the line. Great corner in from Caicedo. Dahomey, header, had a bit of power to it, but it was kind of like just fisted away by, by Yarbrough. Again, if it had been anywhere apart from straight at the keeper, might have given the Whitecaps a chance. It was really just a half chance and sad that that was really all they, they could muster in, in that first half. I mean, how, how were you feeling at half time? Were you confident they, they could get back into it? I thought anything was possible, but it, I, I felt like if it, it wasn't going to happen in the first 10 minutes, I don't think I, I didn't have very good confidence. I thought they needed to come off, off in, sorry, they need to come into that second half all guns a blazing. And if they didn't do that, then I didn't think it was a chance. Yeah, I, I thought it was a chance for MDS and the coaches to to change things a bit, with, even with just the players on the field if they wanted to. Um, but I felt like color. It was like this might be stating the obvious, but I thought it was Colorado's to lose. I, I felt like Colorado was in the driver's seat, and uh, if if the Whitecaps couldn't change something, that really Colorado would you know be able to hang on or might even pull away even further. So I was kind of disappointed that the second half didn't didn't see Vancouver create more or adjust things even more. Yeah, it, it was a little bit flat. What I was hoping for was the kind of reaction uh, we saw against Portland. They came out after this, the, the second half started and got the early goal against TFC as well. They dictated the play in the second half. So I thought it was going to be the same again. 
but it, it wasn't to be. Maybe things would have been different depending on the, the, the chance right off the bat at the start of the second half. Cava jumps, cleanly wins the ball and heads it into the path of Dahomey, who's then through and goal, but Toledo blows, free kick to Colorado. I didn't see anything in that 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 was a free kick. Is that just my, my blue-tinted glasses on? Uh, I don't know. If it's the one I'm thinking of, I think that... There, I think was it was his arm or his elbow sort of caught him when he went up for it, right? Possibly. He kind of... He, he fell over. I I just took it that Kava had kind of just, like, touched him from the back because Kava way out-jumped him. Yeah, I, I mean... If it's the one I thought, I thought, okay, I, I see what I see why they're calling it back. But I mean, falling over was something that would play a, a large part in the game later. <laughs> yeah. I mean, after that, there wasn't really much in the game. I mean, for Colorado, Barrios curled one just over the, the the top in the postage stamp corner. Ranko had a header from a corner off the line again, showing that the Whitecaps' biggest threat right now is, is set pieces. Andy Rose had a big block on Rubio that, that could have put Colorado home and dry. Then the other big talking point. It looked like the Whitecaps had got back into the game from, from nothing. I mean, I'm watching it going, what? How, how is that a penalty? Because I hadn't seen anything the first time round that I thought merited a penalty. Then you saw the replay and it's like, oh, Kyle's going down in the box. But then the more you watch it, you're like, oh, Kyle's throwing himself down in the box. I mean, Acosta was a little bit wrapped around him to begin with. But this isn't Brazil. This is a league that's got, got VAR and referees that don't like players that's already kind of diagonally falling to the ground as they move forward. I think it was the right decision. Toledo gave the penalty to start with. VAR called it back. It's overruled. I think that was right, Zach. Yeah, no, I, I didn't think it was a. I, I was like when it, when I didn't quite wasn't sure which play they were calling it for when it first happened. Yeah, I was like, there's people down in the middle. I was like, did I miss something there? And then okay, I saw people down on the side. Um, but yeah, when you watch the replay, you like right away. I was like, oh, he just fell down. Like, there's no way they're gonna. This is gonna get overturned. And it was an example of I think VAR being used well and being used rightly. But I do agree with you. Uh, I don't think it was a penalty, but if I think, you know, if you're Robin Fraser and you're, you're, you're uh, as Fraser and his team, as they evaluate the game and stuff, I think they're going to be saying, Hey, uh, your arms were a little bit, uh, you know, you put yourself in an awkward position because he called it because of where your arms were and how yeah. you kind of were kind of embracing him. And that's why he let his body go and another ref or another uh, a bar official might not see it that way. So I think that you got to, that, they might discuss that a little bit because um, I think it was it was it was nice to see VAR do what it's supposed to do, and I think it 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 worked out the way it was supposed to work out. My biggest concern and my biggest I think thing from it is you kind of hope we, Vancouver has seen a number of players in their time coming into MLS and playing in, in this city. Um, there's been a number of players who have absolutely developed reputations within MLS yes. that have not been positive. Whether it's going down easy, you think about maybe like a Sebastian Fernandez, or you know being physical like Ken, like Kendall Waston, or uh, even maybe you could say Cava to to a degree. Um, so you you just kind of hope for Caillou that um, he this isn't um, 
this isn't uh, something that he gets labeled with or he doesn't have a bunch of calls like this or a bunch of things like this happen where the, um, the difference in cultural uh, appreciations gets lost for him and, and he ends up, you know, uh, being, um, you know, looked, all, his, all his plays get looked at under a microscope, microscope by the officials. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. And like Caicedo as well went down quite easily towards the end that really drew the ire of Danny Wilson. But I mean, Steve, for the penalty, like if I'm, a, if I'm a, an attacker in the box and someone's got their arm around me, I'm going to like start to go down, but I'm going to at least wait until I'm moving so it looks more natural than, oh, I'm down before we even move. And I mean, yeah, I for me, for me, and I know this is going to be controversial for some people, uh, and this is where uh, VAR, yes, they made the right correct call probably in reversing it, but the whole term clear and obvious, it wasn't clear and obvious that no. it wasn't a penalty. And that's where, and even, um, even the Cavallini thing before, it wasn't clear and obvious what he was doing. Like you, you can't say that it was clearly and obvious. They tried to hit him in the face. It was a play where he was running, um, and there was, and th- that's where, um, that's where VAR is going to be very. Um, uh, that's where people start complaining about VAR when it's not clear and obvious. Yes, it was the correct decision, but it wasn't clear and obvious, and that's where we are getting into VAR, where something is totally missed. Like um, what? What was the games in the World Cup? Uh, um, if I'm not mistaken, it was England versus somebody, and and the English player, maybe it was Harry Kane, was constantly being taken down in the box where he was actually dragged down in the box, and it wasn't being reviewed. That those are the plays that you want reviewed, not something that is very. If he, it's it's, it's you know it's based on like you say, some referees might call it, some referees might not. You can't say that that was the case in this place. That's where even the 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 people in the box they're giving their own opinions but it's not clear and obvious so that's where they got to come up with an idea are they are is it a clear and obvious thing or is it just an opinion that's being given inside the inside the uh with, with the replay officials i i think steve i think in, in these cases i think i'm happy because i think the right call was ultimately made i will agree with you though that the language, and I know I've been, I think, in favor of it in the past, but the language of clear and obvious has created uh, a, uh, a framework for them to work within that they have broken. Yeah, uh, they've broken then, it completely. Mm. Well, maybe, maybe it's a, 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 a grammar, a syntax thing, a word thing, or a semantic thing, or, um, or, or maybe they need to maybe redefine that or... Or, or whatever. But the thing that I would say is that, at least in this case, I think both calls were right. Yeah. It, it did cross my mind, though, that because Toledo had already overruled VAR early in the game, to do that twice in a game... Yeah, that's again, what I'm talking about. Yeah. You, you yeah. get into the thing where you're overriding the, the referee above. Yeah. And I, and it's kind of like an ego thing. So, I, I that's, that's the thing I, I don't... I, one thing, if you're going to do something like that, do not have senior officials in that VAR position uh, because I think it should be somebody, if you want to, like a junior referee who's, uh, and, then, and then you have your senior official on the field or otherwise have your senior official in the VAR and have him make the final decision where it doesn't even come to uh, what's going on in the pitch. The referee on the pitch has no call, like, like in rugby. Or Steve and Michael, are you both saying that you think that 
because Toledo had overturned the suggestion to look at the red card for Cavallini, that when it came to the penalty, he was more likely to agree with VAR and overturn his penalty call because he'd already done it once. He didn't want to overturn VAR for I'm a not second say, time. I'm not saying he did it like purposefully, but I subconsciously you get that thing, oh, I don't want to keep overruling yeah. this guy. I, I, it crossed my mind. Yeah. That, that is a really yeah. interesting perspective that I did not think about during the game. Because then it's like, you're like, oh, Toledo just does what he wants. He thinks he's better than the, the VAR because, as we'll talk about VAR later, Howard Webb revealed that VAR is 98% accurate, but that means it's 2% inaccurate. So there is that leeway. But anyway, we'll come to that later in the show. After that, like Colorado were comfortable. The Whitecaps just did not look like they were going to get anything out of this game. And one of the Big, big disappointments for me in the closing stages. Deep in stoppage time, Caicedo goes up the left, sends in a great ball into the box, and there's no one attacking it. There's a couple of players on the edge of the box. There's two players at the near post, but he sent it deep into the box. You have to expect somebody to be running in at the back, and there was just no urgency from any of the white cats to attack that ball and that is very very disappointing that's something i, I want to raise with, with mds during the week because i didn't go on the on the post game call because we we're trying to get stuff ready for this but yeah it, it was disappointing um actually let's let's just play some audio just now we'll hear from both head coaches so we'll hear from the victorious colorado's head coach robin fraser then we'll hear a little bit from the white caps mark desantis <laughs> That was a really hard-fought win. Um, you know, we had certainly some really good moments in the game, created a number of chances. Uh, felt like we needed to finish one of the other chances earlier. But uh, great free kick by Diego. And then um, it was a resolute effort as they started piling on more and more pressure. Um, we defended quite well, created some very good counterattacking opportunities, and... Um, while you could say we are, you know, we would love to have scored another goal, uh, at the end of the day, they, they fought hard and earned a win on the road. Robin, it's two good performances in two road matches to start the year with two clean sheets. What has been key for you guys defensively away from home? I think the biggest thing is, well, a couple of things. The mentality has been great. Um, they've really embraced working hard, defending hard on the road and, uh, making the game difficult for the opponent. Um, I think that that's had a lot to do with it. And I think a number of our uh, players in the back part of the field have had good games in, in both road games. Uh, I think Danny's been really good in both road games. Um, and just all the defenders around him have worked really hard. So I just think overall our, our team mentality has been excellent. Uh, today, Kellen's work was excellent. Um, Drew came in and was solid and... Uh, uh, really, I could go through the whole team because it it doesn't happen without the kind of work we get from Diego and and Johnny toward the end. So overall, I just think it's the, it's the mentality has been great on the road so far. Well, I think the the first twenty minutes really set the tone on uh, on the game, and that's disappointing. I think we didn't start the game well. Um, we 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 give too much pace to them and they were able to switch uh, the point of attack and attack uh, us with that switch and being dangerous with that switch. 
Um, and I think that when, even if we get a very big chance when it was 0-0, both with Daibet and Caio, uh, they still get the goal that they deserved based on the first 20, 25 minutes. Then, you know, a good reaction from us. We pushed. The only thing we had to deal with is when we get at it, as expanded and open is uh, some some counterattacking situations. I still think we 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 created enough to score. Um, but yeah, it's disappointing because we all wanted to win this game. Maybe we felt the 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 the, the pressure. I would say to that we really wanted this opportunity and to win the game and get to seven points. So maybe that that played something in our heads in the first 20 to 25 minutes. Then I can't um, say anything about the reaction of the guys trying to push, trying to go to goal, trying to create opportunities. But unfortunately, we, we were short tonight and, um, and that's it. We have to react. We have another game, important one on Saturday. I was just wondering what your your thoughts were on the, your team's offensive production tonight. You know, the chances you generated. Where do you feel that you guys could have done a, a little bit better? We we tried with Caio to get a player uh, in behind the three forwards that would um, connect more uh, with them and try to look for that last pass, that last run. Uh, but the way Colorado was defending, that was uh, lower. Um, Caio had to come and get the ball very far and deep, and then we lacked of of something in between the lines, and the, especially in the first half. Um, then, when you play against teams that that defend lower like that, and you know, it became even more evident when they they went with the back five. Well, we have to make sure that we get deeper around them. Uh, we didn't get around them enough. Uh, our crosses were not effective enough. We were not able to to stretch the field in a way that we wanted. Um, but we still tried. We tried to play a little bit sometimes through the middle with that last pass. It's not easy. Um, but again, it's a, an area of the field that it was better when it comes to, to creating uh, than the first two games. But unfortunately, again, I think the first 25 minutes really set um, a tone that it's the way you 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 show up when you start the game and now the face of the team right away in the first 20 minutes that that that's the disappointing part for me So Robin Fraser and MDS there just talking about the game. MDS felt that the first 25 minutes basically dictated the game. He was disappointed by the Whitecaps' performance in that. I think that's fair. He feels that they only woke up when Colorado scored. Again, I feel that's fair. And I think we just have to move on quickly from it. We'll, we'll look ahead to the next game in the next part. But I think there's very little positive that, that you can really take from this one. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that, Michael. That, like, it uh, they they were in a good a good place after two games, and I think they'll look they'll look back on this very disappointed that they couldn't continue in their ascendancy, um, and they're they're going to have to 
I think really rally to um, to 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 write the sh- write the ship as you know as they go into their second game of the season against an Eastern Conference team in Montreal. This this is team really uh, gives me the um, I, I feel like this team is going to be and I'm not I'm not saying they're they're actually doing it but they're the type of team that reads the headlines and believes the headlines. If, or, or goes opposite. Like if, if, if somebody says they're going to be crap, they want to prove those headlines wrong. If they, somebody says they're really good, uh, they go, they'll maybe believe that. So they'll believe the positive headlines and they want to work against the negative headlines. I, it just feels like that they, they, they'll do, they'll win when they're not supposed to again, results when they're not supposed to, and they will mess up when they're not, when they're, when they're supposed to actually win. So it, it kind of gives me those kind of, uh, um, the idea that they, they, that's the type of team this is going to be. They have to get to the point where they realize they're, they always got to work to be good enough to, in order to get a result. I, worrying thing for me is a lot of it looked like the bad Whitecaps from last season. So, I mean, hopefully it's a little bit of ring rust and they'll kind of work things off. You can't win I'm, every game. I'm hoping it's a little bit more of the formation, the way the formation is set yeah. up. I, I'm hoping that's the reason why. So, just a couple of other quick things, Whitecaps related, just to round this part off. So, we saw the MLS debut from Cameron Habibula. He was added to the the squad today with Damiano Paseo loaned to Venezia's youth team until June 2022, freeing up a roster spot. Of course, Habibula and Campania had signed their MLS deals last week or the week before, and... They, they were just waiting for spots to open up to get officially added to the roster. We are actually going to have a, a chat with Cam on next week's show. Haven't got time to, to run it in this week's show, so watch out for that next week. But I mean, it, it was good to see him. There's a lot expected of him. I was a little bit surprised in a way that they kind of threw him into this one, but he's been showing really well at training. He's been really impressing. It looked like Kyle had a little bit of, of a knock and, and went off, but I mean, he, he didn't really see much of him, but getting that that kind of monkey off his back, getting that start, it, it's good for him. Yeah, it was a better debut than I can't remember which player it was last year that debuted and they called the final whistle yeah. right away. Was it? Was it, was it him? Okay, it might have been Pasil. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember who it was. So yeah, it was it was a better obviously, but he got a couple touches in, um, and and it's obviously just a start up. Um, uh, they mentioned uh, Axel message that. Uh, Demonio Pasil uh, was very close to getting a few minutes here and there, uh, but he feels he needs to get more minutes, and that's why he was loaned out. So that's a good sign. Yeah. Um, and it'll be a one-year loan, so he'll be there till next year. With the yeah, week. makes makes with perfect op- sense. With an option to buy, which I found interesting. Yeah. Yes, because they obviously think very very highly of him, and like Venetia, he's, he's in a beautiful city, one of my favorite cities in the world. I love Venice. Lucky to have gone there a couple of times, and. Yeah, hope he really enjoys it and learns a lot and develops his game as well. So one one quick thing about Cam coming in, I mean, and I know there's some kind of post game ish talk on this, but why? Like, did you do you both you guys feel like that was the best substitute? Like, I I think you know he did fine, whatever. He, he, he didn't lose the game, didn't win the game. Sort of brought a little bit of energy to the pitch, but like, was that the best substitute when you're trying to get a point? Who, who would you have suggested? 
I'm, I'm not saying I, 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 I'm, I'm wondering. No, I'm just wondering because I, yeah. I don't I don't know I, who else was on the bench, honestly. I, I would have made a double one, to, to be honest, at that point because I would have brought Tosin Ricketts on as well. Right, Ricketts, one, one of the front ones okay. just to add some spark. Okay. But I mean, bringing Cam on because he is that kind of guy that has that spark that was completely missing tonight. So, I mean, i totally fine with, with, with bringing him on. I, I was hoping to get more from Ryan Raposo because... Yeah. Having seen how Danny Wilson coped last week when he had fast guys running at him, I thought this was a great chance for the Whitecaps to get back. Actually, let's talk about Theo Bear as well, because Mark was asked after the game why Theo wasn't even in the squad. And not for the first time, has said he's basically not showing enough in training to earn a place in the game day squad, which is very, very telling damning. and damning yeah. and, and worrying for Theo. Yeah, that is really bad. I heard that in the, in the press conference. That was really not good. Theo, and you hope that that's just a bit of a lull he's in or whatever. But uh, yeah, Ricketts was the one person. Uh, I was yeah, watching that makes people. that makes sense. Uh, Ricketts should have. I think Ricketts should have been on earlier. Even yeah, then, like, well, and, then, I, and, and drop Kyle back. Yeah, maybe it's down to a training thing. But like, how is Ricketts not coming into a game where you you desperately need a goal? Yeah, the only if he's thing on I the could... bench, he should be good to come on. Yeah, exactly. And that's where uh, you know Baldissimo. You could say he had a bit of a knock, but he came off the bench, so. Why wouldn't that uh, be the same for the Ricketts? So, yeah, I think Ricketts would have been better to come off earlier. And even if you don't want to take Alcayo at the time, you should have dropped him back in the midfield. Yeah. And that would have been ideal. Yeah. And the, the, the last other news that came out this week, the, the game tonight was called by Luke Wildman and Stephen Caldwell from the, the studio in Toronto. Now, I, I like Luke Wildman. I, I think he's a, a good commentator. I enjoy listening to him. That's probably my UK bias coming through, but I, I always always enjoy listening to, to Luke. Stephen Caldwell, I thought was terrible tonight. It was painful to listen to at times. He was just rambling on at, at times about nothing. And I know I can do that on the show, but it's very different me doing that on the show and doing it on a broadcast. But of course, there's going to be a change to the Whitecaps TV broadcasts because... A man that many people, myself included, think of as the voice of the Whitecaps, Pete Shad, is now no longer going to be calling games on either TV or radio. Now, since I moved here in 2007, the voice I associate with Whitecaps commentary is Peter Shad. I think he's a, a, a commentator that has knowledge of the game, passion for the game, it really comes across, and... He's critical when he needs to be critical of the team. And I think that's what viewers want when they're listening to a broadcast. They don't want somebody sugarcoating it. They don't want somebody lying about what's going on because you can clearly see it with your own eyes. And I don't know whether Peter has been a, a victim of his own critical nature or if it's more cost-cutting by, by TSN or, or what. But were you surprised to, to see Peter Shad let go this week? I, yeah, I was. I, I, I don't know. Has Peter been overly critical? Like, unfairly critical? No, like, not I, at all. I, I personally don't think so. I, 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 don't think, I don't think so at all. I mean, we, we all list, watch other games, especially in MLS, and are just like, man, like, how, you know, how are these people doing the commentary where they're yep. holding the pom-poms, you know? And and, and Peter's, Peter's not like that, or maybe some people would Maybe some people think he was. I don't know, but I don't think sometimes he could be. But I think every commentator is like, and I've I've been guilty of that myself when I've been doing stuff like TSS and UBC games. It, it goes with the nature of a home commentator. 
but I like to think I'm impartial and call it down the middle. And the majority of the time, Pete Shad did that. And I like I yeah I would agree with you, Michael. He was uh, professional. He was passionate. He was local. Like when you when it, when you talk to Peter Shad or you hear him tell stories and stuff, like he is a guy who like grew up in this province, loving this sport, and is kind of like dead. I mean, you know, broadcasting and and, and and you know youth stuff has dedicated him life to dedicate his life to contributing to to the sport. And um, it was, you know, he, you, you've heard the story, I'm sure, but it was his dream yep. you know, to be the broadcaster for the Whitecaps. And he got to, to, to live that dream. And I think it's, uh, a, it's a real shame because if, if it's his having been critical of them, which I don't think he has been. Now, uh, we're not definitely saying it is that. No, no. That may have played a part. And I'm pretty sure cost cutting well, will have I mean, played a part as well. That played a part. That, that, that's un, like unbelievable. And two, yeah, I think for sure, finances played a part. And this is the thing. I think th- this comes down ultimately to a to a dollars a dollars a money thing. Yeah, the, and, the, the price is right. But that's the thing. <laughs> that's the thing. If they wanted to, if they wanted to keep someone who's been local and been a part of what they've been doing since before, way before MLS. Um, they could have made that happen. Now, I don't know the dollars involved in that. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what I don't. I don't know all the things with you know TSN and Bell and their agreements and you know why they why they would want this to happen now and all that kind of stuff. And you know they already done all these other things in the local sports uh, community and whatever you know taking things away or you know cutting back. But like to me, if you this is i mean i just don't understand why you would let the, let something like this happen it, yeah i mean we'll, we'll know more when more is announced do know who the new person is but we're we don't want to to reveal it on the show um out of respect for the person involved who wants to announce it himself it all we'll say is it is a, a local broadcaster i'm going to be very curious to see how it goes down because i've never heard this person do a soccer play-by-play I don't know what they're going to be like. They might be fantastic. I guess we'll be finding out pretty soon. But once it is announced, which I would imagine is going to be this week, let us know your feedback on it. Let us know your thoughts on Pete Shad going as well at AFT in Canada or shoot us an email, aftincanada at hotmail.com. But that is it for this part. That is it for the Whitecaps chat. We are going to be back looking at the weekend in the MLS West and some other stories around MLS after this. Hi, I'm Mark Dos Santos, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show.
Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's our new Artist of the Month here at AFTN. For me, it's a blast from the past, from my childhood. It's Adam and the Ants. That was Stand and Deliver from their third album, Prince Charming, which I found out was released 40 years ago this week, making me feel very, very old, because I remember listening to it going to school on the on the radio, having it up in my ear as we were walking to school with my mates. Were Adam and the Ants a, a band that were known out in these parts? I saw them once in a while, but it was more at the beginning of the uh, much music time mm. uh, when they had to show a lot of videos and stuff like that. I saw them quite a bit then. I know the name, but I don't know the I don't know them or their music well. Excellent. Well, hopefully, I'll be bringing some tunes from their career to a wider audience. We're going to span their three albums, and we'll just focus on the band, not Adamant solo stuff. And I've got some cracking tunes lined up. They were one of my favourite bands when I was a kid. I still listen to them a lot. Been fortunate enough to see Adamant play here twice uh, in recent years as well. So, yep, we'll have more of those coming up for the rest of this month. So for this part of the show, we're going to turn our attention to the rest of MLS, focusing primarily on the MLS West, because the West is best. And it's been a, another interesting week of MLS action. Maybe not as exciting as the first two weeks. Maybe not as many galazzos and exciting end-to-end games. But there was a, a lot of things to talk about. So we'll, we'll delve into the, the main talking points in this part. As well as a few other things around the league as well. The Western action kicked off on Saturday with the, the fellow homemates. The, the shared ground guys in Utah, Real Salt Lake... 3-1 win over Johnny Russell's Sporting Kansas City. Johnny Russell getting the start in this one, so that obviously made me happy. Now, RSL had a bye week in week one, so this was only their second game that they've played. Last week, they got off to a good start against Minnesota, but you weren't really sure, was it just them being good? Was it Minnesota being particularly bad? And it's still early doors, but we got to, to see a glimpse of what Freddy Juarez has put together in that RSL squad, and it's looking to be... A good, exciting squad. They came from behind in this one to beat Kansas City 3-1. KC dominated the early going. Homeside then took over big time. Polito had fired KC ahead in his first start of the season, 17 minutes in. RSL stormed back through a, a crylatch header 10 minutes before half time. Then a second half brace from Rubio Rubin. Saw them take home all three points. There was some horrific defending from, from KC, leaving Rubin in all acres of, of space for the first one. And then they basically just allowed him to, to run through the defence for the second. At the end of the game, Achoa, who had got into some trouble last week for kicking the ball into the Minnesota fans, has made a new thing of it. And he's now kicking the ball into the home fans. It's going to be their new tradition. It's a mod Flanders waiting to happen, if you ask me. But... What did you guys make of this one? What have you guys made of RSL? I didn't see this one that much, but uh, I like the fact that he did kick the ball into the thing just to... Because we'll talk about Minnesota later, but they deserve to get the ball kicked into their end. Um, uh, the, RSL is a team that can surprise. They they got the pieces. Uh, I've always liked Krylek and everything like that. Yeah, so. I, I like him. Um, I, I think there's a uh, there's places where they can go. Um, I think they're one of those teams that 
are, are really buzzing right now, they'll probably fall off a little bit and they'll be in that like six to nine, six to 10 range of the standings. Yeah, I agree. Krylak is a, is a beast. Goal to assist. Um, it's kind of like as he go, he and Rusnak go, RSL will go. And um, tonight he was, he was hungry and uh, he, he uh, feasted on uh, yeah. Sporting Kansas City. A little bit surprised that you're Sporting Kansas City side there, Michael. Um, yeah. They looked flat. Yeah, changed up some of the starters there, and it didn't really have the the uh, they didn't really have the impetus that you thought they would with some of those guys in there. I mean, they came um, out strong, but I mean, they faded as soon as RSL took control of the game. That that was it. There was only one team winning that one. Yeah, so a, little wor- a little worried for them, but yeah, I think RSL. Uh, I, I think Steve's right. If they're if if they're, I'd be surprised if they're out of the playoffs. Um, but I mean, obviously, early days, but. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's a very early sample size, but I mean they're looking good. They're playing some nice stuff. Keeping Krylak healthy is obviously one thing. But I, I thought they were going to miss Corey Baird, uh, but so far they they haven't, and Baird's obviously enjoying his time. Yeah, well that's a great little segue into the next game because it was Houston one, LAFC one, both goals coming in the second half, and it was Corey Baird that put LAFC ahead in the fifty fifth minute. I still think it 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 was offside. I have no idea how that got deemed onside and a video review kept it onside. I was going to ask you guys the same thing. Every time, like, I haven't seen a really good, good, like, a, you know, nice clear angle. Of Maybe there. it wasn't clear and obvious then. It looks so offside. Yeah. Steve, do you think it was offside? I, I thought it was, but this is where uh, we talked about VAR in that first part. And it's like, there's too many opinions. Um, I don't have a problem with it if, if it wasn't uh, clear and obvious, but... Like I, I, I but the, you get another time where it's going to be a foot offside, like an actual foot or a toe, and they'll call it offside. I just want it to be very obvious, but in this case, I thought it was offside. Yeah, but that's the thing you draw the with offside. It's offside. It's not like those other calls we talked about earlier tonight, where the arms yeah. wrap around, you fall down. Oh, did he hit him in the face? Was it accidental? Or no, this is like you draw a line on the field and it's done. Yeah, and yeah. Like, if you if you, but see that that's the thing because they don't draw the lines in MLS, no, so you're still don't. using the eye test. So you need to have a camera angle that clearly shows that he was offside. I thought there was one, but. Yeah. Obviously not not enough to, to overturn it, but I mean... I, th- I think they just want a lot of people to be tuned into instant replay. Get the figures up for that. But I mean, Houston equalised just a couple of minutes after that, two minutes late in fact, and it was good old Canadian boy, Tyler Pasher. I mean, he's had a great start to his Houston Dynamo career. He scored 22 goals and 57 appearances over three seasons with Indy 11. That earned him his shot back in MLS because he'd, he'd been involved with Sporting Kansas City in the past but hadn't made appearances for them. So he's got one goal and one assist now. He started all three games. He's looking good. He's looking dangerous. Now, he's obviously playing at a position that Canada and the national team are stacked. But, I mean, do do you have a look at him? Maybe not for the World Cup qualifiers, but maybe in the Gold Cup. Is he the kind of guy that you bring in for that? Yeah, 100%. I think he could be uh, a player that – and he, he is a late bloomer, so he's not mm. – like you don't have to worry about him like um, uh, in the prob- – maybe the, the, for the next World Cup, it's like you don't have to worry about the upcoming World Cups. But it's a good player to have because um, we talked about it before with the Gold Cup and World Cup qualifying, you're not going to be able to bring all those players. So to provide good depth and everything, it's a good, it's a good player to have. Yeah, I think uh, – 
often with national teams, uh, your form is it plays a key role, right? So, uh, a player like a, uh, an MLS player like a Teshuak in Delhi, his form has brought him into the Canadian men's national team in the past, and recently it's kind of dropped him out. Although I believe he's scored this weekend. Yeah, he's he's starting um, to get back in form. But uh, but yeah, so I think that that's this that's this what kind of player we're looking at. So yeah, I, I, when it comes to something like the Gold Cup, if they're uh, going to give like the World Cup qualifying guys a rest or you know whatever, I think yeah, that's the, the if he's in form then yeah maybe he gets a look or gets in the squad or you know gets a few minutes or whatever here here or there in that tournament but um yeah just happy for him and um uh, i think it was uh it was it was an interesting uh battle between two teams uh well, i mean expect a lot um out of lafc uh but houston this year we've talked a lot about how maybe they are going to be able to come together and tab ramos is going to be able to help them play both well at the back and use those dynamic pieces they have going yeah because that's the, that's the key is the defensive play i I still think they're going to be a playoff team and I, like steve called a late bloomer i love that in a player i love a guy that's maybe not been given his chance early on comes good later on and it gives me hope there's still hope for me yet the luca yeah. tony of canada yeah, that that would be a very late late bloomer, but and and uh, um, he has obviously uh, Martin Randy to thank for that because he was playing, yeah. uh, he was on Indy Eleven last year, so it's it's a good sign that uh, these guys are coming up and 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 I'm gonna hope to see Gershon Coffee back in MLS next year. So um, it's it, it's good to see these guys uh, after their first kind of. Whatever you want to call it, fizzling out. It's good to see them come back and, and have that second um, second chance at MLS to play. It shows you that there is a there is a second chance. There is like you're if you don't make it your first go at MLS, and, and you you're a North American player, you want to play in North America. That there's there's other opportunities that can then get you back to that level. Yeah. And just a complete aside, but I just want to say huge congratulations to Christian Dean who obviously will be listening to the show, after retiring two and a half years ago, back playing when it looked like his career was done. Charlotte Independence in USL, so I wish Christian nothing but the best. Yeah. Fantastic guy, and he had just such a brutal time with injuries here. Now, one of the big surprise results of the weekend, in many ways, I, I guess you could maybe put a little bit of it down to tiredness, but Dallas 4, Portland 1. And Dallas were two up in the first 14 minutes in this one. The second from their Irish striker, O'Brien. Oh, no, sorry, their Colombian forward, O'Brien. Um, he had a magnificent goal, which came from a route one effort. Dallas keeper, Felipe, big clear out, bounce, falls to O'Brien, back of the net. Old school Wimbledon from the 80s. I love that kind of play. It also gave Felipe an assist before he'd even registered a save in the match. So you, you don't get that very often from a goalkeeper. Dallas had added a, a third and first half stoppage time. After that, it was basically game over. Portland fought back a little bit in the second. They, they hit the post just before the hour mark. Eric Williamson pulled one back just after. But there was no dramatic comeback. Dante Seeley added a fourth late on. Three points to Dallas. Very comfortable win. Is that just a CCL hangover for the Timbers? I, you, I, I, you could say that, but they gave up the first. Like, I don't, I don't know if it was a hangover because you, you were saying they were tired, um, but they gave up their goals, like two goals in the first fourteen minutes. The first goal was in the a minute forty in or something like that. They scored, so I don't know. And the thing is, is they were catching them, like flat footed all game long. So, um, 
I think Portland's got more to be concerned about than just tiredness at this point. I, I think you definitely see the, the effect of playing in the CCL when you look at the teams uh, that are involved and, and what's happened to them in, in their games. I think Portland's uh, uh, also an example of that. I mean, their only goal came from Diego Valeri setting it up. And Diego, he didn't even start the match, right? Like yeah. He on the bench and had to come on. And he provided the creativity, you know, uh, the one-two or whatever it was for the goal. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I think you definitely see the, the, the impact of the CCL. But the problem is with the CCL is you're going to have to, uh, games uh, in MLS that are two games in a week or something like that. And so how is Portland going to survive in those kind of situations? They seem to not lack depth for me. Uh, they right they were at home because they weren't traveling either. Yeah. Now, the the next game, I, I watched this in full, and wow, Minnesota nil, Austin one, back to back wins now for the Texans. Three straight defeats to start the season for Minnesota. That's their worst ever start in MLS. Diego Fagundes. Finished off a nice move for the only goal of the game. It came in the 17th minute. Both teams had chances, but I mean, Austin could and should have added to their tally. They had a couple of good chances late on in, in particular. Minnesota were pushing hard, leaving themselves wide open at the back. Now, yeah. it's a great start for Austin. They've got three points on the road now, two weeks in a trot. And to get any points on the road in your first season in MLS is magnificent. The Whitecaps failed to do that. Obviously, the, the league's very different to, to 2011. I mean, that could be massive for them if they can pick up as many points as they can on the road. Don't think we can really talk about them as playoff contenders just yet, but they'll have a, a long homestand. As for Minnesota, now, they do have injuries. Obviously, the AFTN kiss of death, Stephen Mee tipping them to, to win the West, has, is the main thing that has gone against them. Pressure is going to start to pile up on Adrian Heath, though, if the form continues and he can't turn it around. They're the only MLS team that's yet to secure a point this season. I, I, I'm baffled by them. Even with the injuries, they should be enough to win a game or get some points here. Uh, you're 100% right that they're lucky not to be it's just a 1-0 game, and it wasn't a full embarrassment. The, the boos came out big time, and there was nobody kicking a ball into the stands. They were just boos for the performance on the field. <laughs> So I think you needed some booze to be watching Minnesota the, the first three weeks of the season. And the coach was not happy about it, too. I'm mm. blank, bl drawing a blank on the, his name. Adrian Heath. Adrian Heath. Yeah, Adrian Heath, that's right. You don't want an angry Adrian Heath in the oh, locker room. I, I've had to deal with him once after a game, uh, angry Adrian Heath. Um, but yeah, Minnesota is going to have to definitely figure something out really quickly. Um, it is, it's usually no big deal when, when you, you know, you, you might drop a few games here and there at the beginning of the season because the season is long, uh, but this season is condensed. Um, so dropping this many points this early uh, could provide difference because it's not the, a regular uh, normal MLS season. This is, this is condensed a lot more. So these games are going to come in hard and fast. So not getting pick up points here or, or could harm in the, in the down the road. I think with Minnesota, I mean, they haven't dealt with this kind of pressure that I think that's come from, so many people, including, I believe, both of you, mm. uh, picking them to do so well this season. I know, because everyone wrote them off last year. And that was Adrian Heath's big thing of like using that, pinning it on the dressing room wall. But this year, what, what's going on? Our, oh, Parr is injured, right? Yes. Okay, so I believe Parr's so, injured. anyway. That's a huge difference from last year. Aboxel played great next to him. 
things obviously haven't been perfect in the, uh, I think they've tried at least two different partnerships at the back this, this year. Um, they haven't gone well. They got rid of Jose Aja, but they also got rid of Kevin Molino. And even yeah, though that's... they brought people and they, and they have like, they have like a, is it a trap? And, and uh, today was trap and Alonzo playing. Like they have like some really good players things just aren't clicking and going well for them. Um, and so you, you, I, I guess, I mean, for, a, for Michael Boxall, I hope they're able to turn things around. Yeah. And I mean, there's there's lots of time to turn things around. And we've seen it before. Seattle's always a, a good example of that. But you don't want to fall too far behind too early. Yeah. San Jose rounded off Saturday night's action. 4-1 win over DC United. It was a pretty dominant performance by the, the earthquakes in the end in San Jose. Eduardo Lopez had them one up with a nice finish, just less than a minute in. Then their 17-year-old wonder kid, Cade Cowell, he showed poise, pace to, to, to burn really and just leave the DC defender in his wake, adding a second in the 26th minute. Now that's two goals and three assists for the young homegrown in his three starts this season so far. Great output and also obviously great value. He's listed as being taking up the 29th spot on the supplemental spot in the roster. So that's great for San Jose. DC pulled one back five minutes later. Uh, Alfaro got that. Jackson Ewell, though, restored the home size two-goal advantage two minutes before half-time. Long-range volley. I think Sites could have maybe done better. He, he was a bit blocked, I guess, when he maybe saw it late. But, I mean, there wasn't a lot of action after that. Yo added a second, heading home from close range with five minutes remaining, securing the, the three points, and that was off a, a cowl assist. Who needs Wando? That win, it put the, the Quakes top of the West overnight. They don't finish the weekend there. That was on goal difference. Six points from their first three games. What, what did you make of that one? Yeah, I had this game on last night. I, I caught uh, kind of the end of the Austin game and then uh, had this game on. And it, like, DC like showed very little, uh, I felt like. I, I know it's a away game and one of their cross-conference um, games in the West Coast and whatever. But, like, yeah, they just did not look look good. In San Jose, uh, I think, yeah, they were fishing in front of goals. They took – in front of goal, they took their chance as well. And, uh, yeah, like you said, like it was it – was, it was like watch. It was like watching FIFA, Steve. That that uh, call call goal, right? He was just like received the like the the pat, like a Y a Y pass was played in front of him a through ball, and he just the way he just pulled away from that defender, just clicking or holding the right the right trigger button just to to break away and then uh, I think put it in I think near near post on the keeper. But um, yeah, those, I, are, those I, are my favorite goals in FIFA. Yeah, yeah, it's like how I've I play. Never scored a goal like that in my life in FIFA. <laughs> Oh, you need to. I have trouble scoring. But it's so, the story of my teenage years as well. So, it, it, like, San Jose is always really interesting. Like, San Jose under Matias Almeida is always really interesting. Yeah, they're an adventure. That, yeah, because of how he sets them out and how he uses players and stuff. So, whenever they're on, I try and I try and watch because something something interesting is going to happen. Either they might get thrashed or they might thrash someone or whatever. But it felt like they were in a different class than, than DC in this game. And I kind well, of a little worried about DC. Yeah, DC, like after it, their head coach, Hernan Losada, he wasn't pulling any punches after the game. One of the quotes was, I told you before the first game, this group was not fit enough. They came back from four months off season, totally unfit. Many were overweight. Nobody had control over what the players were doing in those four months. And some of them are paying the price. Now, that is damning stuff. 
and very unprofessional from the players, you've got to say. I mean, I don't know what they were expecting or what they got away with before, but that's shocking. Now, we've had it here before with the Whitecaps. I remember a couple of pre-seasons where the Carol Robinson said wasn't happy with how they came back. And since then, things have been great here. That's not good to hear if you're a DC fan. No, uh, I, I the only time I've heard of it is uh, one time when uh, WD Cumiento was uh, called for it in, in the first season or the second season when he was called for being out of shape. Um, it, it, uh, and you're right, the, the I think the first year they went to Hawaii, possibly, that was the year that Carl Robinson was calling on because uh, he called people out on the radio, in fact. that they Yeah, they were making them do extra fitness sessions and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it's not a good sign, especially three weeks in, considering they did have a, a preseason and everything. Um, it's it, DC United is a team that uh, normally does have a strong work ethic with their previous coach, um, and it's surprising to see. I don't know how many changes they made since the year before, but, yeah, it's surprising to see them have that. Yeah, th- those are those are damning words, and mm-hmm. uh, I guess, you know, if you're – you know, uh, if you're a fan of DC, you hope that uh, the players take that uh, those strong words and uh, and get and get in shape and do the hard work uh, to to get up to the level they need to be at because they have some they have some good players. They've got um, your Arena. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. I was <laughs> saying Gressel. They were playing Gressel at right back, and I'm like, yeah, Arena's injured though, just now. So. Yeah, I don't know if this is the best spot, but mm-hmm. they have some good players and they should be able to compete in MLS. But if, if if the coach is saying that about how they spent their, I mean, obviously it's a weird off season because of pandemic and stuff, but still, you have to, as a professional footballer, you've got to keep yourself in shape. There's no no excuse for that in, in this day and age. I'm sorry, but but Cade Cowell, a great example of the amount of young players and young talent that they're not just getting token minutes; they're actually making contributions around the league so far this season. There's some very very exciting talent. We'll we'll dig into that maybe in a, in a future show. The other game tonight in the Western Conference, Seattle 3, LA Galaxy now. Watched the first half before the Whitecaps game started. Had the second half on my phone during the Whitecaps game, so I was just kind of keeping half an eye on it. Rui Diaz opened the scoring for Seattle 20 minutes in. That made it three goals in, in three games from the pesky Peruvian. That's what I'm going to go with from now on. Three minutes later, Brad Smith made it two for the Sounders. Back-to-back goals for the Aussie now after going three years without a goal for the Sounders. So that's been a, a good start for him. Pretty slow reaction, though, from the, the Galaxy defence on, on a loose ball after a, a rebound from the save. Second half from what I saw, wasn't really much to write home about. Sounders crashed one off the woodwork late on. Then Rui Diaz got a second of the night, fourth of the season, three minutes into stoppage time. It was a win that not only sent the Sounders to the top of the West, but they're also in first place in the Supporters Shield in this early race. And I guess they're not used to starting so fast. They're usually a little bit slow and then come good later in the season. Is this worrying for the rest of the West that they've come out flying? They should be. Uh, the rest of us should be concerned about this. But also, maybe people are hoping they'll do a reverse where they're good at the beginning and terrible, yeah. terrible at the end. I mean, who who wouldn't want a Raul Ruiz Diaz in their squad, eh? Yeah, I think Brad Smith has got the uh, the reverse uh, Solomon uh, kind of issue where he didn't need his hair um, on Les Solomon. <laughs> I think he's got something. Like that. Was that not Samson? Was it Samson? Samson, yeah. 
Oh, it was Seth. Seth I knew what you meant, Steve. I knew what you meant. I was, oh, Solomon Gomorrah. Sorry, Seth. Sorry, some Gamora, guy yeah. from the Marvel oh. comics you were talking about. I don't, I don't <laughs> the the uh, the uh, lag the lag defense did not look good in, no. in the game, especially like that second goal. It wasn't just the fact that they were so you know they let Smith beat them to the rebound, but the way they he got to the first ball to get the first shot off a pass kind yeah, of they just stand and watch. Not, not good. I what did you guys? Think, what did you think of the Seattle? Uh, uh, Jimi Hendrix kit tonight. It's it started to grow on me. When I first saw it, I was like, "Ew!" But it it's got a uniqueness to it, and in MLS, that's a good thing. I, I just turned on the on the game. Uh, it was nil nil, or yeah, a goal was just going in, and I was like, "Oh, LA LA's up a goal!" <laughs> like just quick glance on it was on the iPad. That confused me at first as well because I and wasn't was expecting like, them to be playing and in those colors. Replay, I was like, "That's Rui Diaz." <laughs> it's like. Oh shoot! This is that kit, that new kit today. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, Seattle, Seattle's looking good. It's obviously Chicharito's peaked. His season's over. No goal tonight, so I don't know what MLS soccer will write about this week. It's going to be a mystery. But the Western Conference standings after this weekend: Seattle lead the way. They're one of three unbeaten teams, along with RSL and LAFC. Caps now ninth after the feat tonight. There's three points though separate the top eleven. Just yeah. showing how tight the West is going to be this season. Just some very quick things from the East. Zach touched on it there. Orlando's Tesho Akindeli got the fastest goal of the weekend, just 31 seconds into Orlando's game. Orlando looking good. Cincinnati looking awful. Eight goals that Cincinnati have shipped in their two games in the last two weeks as well. But Orlando's playing some lovely football. I'm actually enjoying watching their games. Nashville has won a five and beaten teams in the East, but they've had three straight draws out the block at home, which is going to be concerning for them. New England out on top, though, in the East. They're looking good as well. And so far, it's it's New England and Orlando that, that's really impressed me. But New York City looked pretty, pretty good this weekend as well. Wasn't Tisho's goal the fastest in MLS, I thought I heard? Fastest this weekend. Oh, I thought it was, I thought somebody was mentioned that it was the fastest of all. Let me, I'll find out. New England doing the op- the opposite of Minnesota. Lots of people have had high expectations for New England this year, and they've gotten off to uh, like a, a really really good start. Did anyone watch the Montreal Columbus game? No, yes, thank God. I I I did, and oh. there was very little to see in it. It was nil nil. Um, I mean, let, let, let's look ahead to next week then, because the, the White Cats are playing Montreal. Montreal have looked good and exciting in the first two weeks. Much like the White Caps tonight, though they looked quite lackluster. They looked quite lackluster, and yeah, I mean Columbus obviously tired from their CCL stuff during the week. All four of the MLS teams that had been in CCL action again failed to register a win. Second time this season that's happened. Columbus, the only team to actually take a point. The Atlanta, Philly, TFC didn't play. But Portland, those three teams all lost. I mean, Columbus didn't look great in this one. Montreal didn't look great. I don't know what to expect next week. I think the Whitecaps will want to to mix things up. But Montreal's got an attacking style of play, exciting on the counter-attack. Mason Toy was injured for this one, so he was out. And that seemed to just suck everything out of their attack. And Bjorn Johnson, who I had very high hopes for, 
still only playing a substitute role. But when you're starting Eric Hurtado up front, I know you like Eric Zach, but that says a lot about how dangerous your attack might be. No, I mean I caught parts parts of the game. It's on replay as we were recording this actually. Oh, I, I caught I caught another uh, part of it uh, earlier. But um, yeah, I mean Columbus. I think yeah, it's it's the, the the CCL. It's not just if you travel or not. It's just those games are so massive, like they're so big that they. T- I think they they take stuff out of you. Um, I think these clubs they're like they're in the semifinal and it's. They have a chance to make a final, or sorry, quarterfinals. quarterfinals. Well, yeah, well, like Columbus in particular was an absolutely fantastic game against Monterey, and it, this is the quarterfinal, so this is their chance to make the semis. Yeah, and it was two all. They fought back so well. It was a, one of the most hard fought performances of all four of the matches. So that will have taken a lot out of them. There was some changes to the starting lineup as well. I I don't know what to expect next week. I've got yeah. to be honest. Yeah. So I, just to give you an update, I was way off on the fastest goal. Uh, Tisha's goal wouldn't even be the top 10, apparently. Uh, the fastest goal ever was eight seconds uh, for Tim Cahill against Houston. But yeah, what, what are you expecting from, from next week? I don't know what to expect. It's either going to be a boring game like this Montreal-Columbus one, or we're going to just get free-flowing action, defensive mistakes, and a, a win of goals. Well, I, I think, think I think one week uh, with... Uh, like if they decide to go with this lineup or make changes with the lineup, I think one more week will make a difference. I think the the Whitecaps have that ability to score goals. It's just it's just who's gonna set them up for those goals. And I really hope they try either Kyle a little deeper back or put Baldissimo back in the lineup because I think that that's where it was missing. Yeah, I agree with Steve. I think the Whitecaps lineup. I think it'll be interesting to see how MDS and the coaching staff now react to a, a negative result and, and how much they change or don't change. Uh, especially, like Steve said, where, where Caillou goes um, uh, and how they fit things around that. I, I liked earlier, too, also, Steve, you were talking about, uh, both of you, I think, we're talking about how playing uh, Rusty out on the left it gave confidence to Gutierrez to go forward and, and be more involved in that way. So it'll be interesting to see if, if they evaluate things in the same way and if they, they, they adjust accordingly on the other side of the ball, I think toy, a toy, I think is a, a significant uh, question mark. If he starts, I think that bodes well for Montreal. Um, I also think you, you, even though today wasn't great, you, you can't, um, you can't discount Eric Hurtado playing against the Whitecaps. He's already, you know, yeah, to pop yeah. a goal away. I think he would love to score again on Vancouver. Yeah, but Vancouver. that was late in the game where it was even the game was already decided. I last ever that. goal at BC Place in front of fans. No, well, I, I don't not last I, ever. Hopefully, but game wasn't decided. It wasn't like a, that was like made it three one, right? Yeah, yeah. But at that time, the Whitecaps really showed nothing to get it, back to the game. It was at the death as well. Yeah. I mean, I big change I would make next week is I'd start Gashbar. Uh, oh Jake. yeah. I would yeah. start him at wing if possible, and leave. I'm okay with Jake staying in there. Uh, put him up on wing, and then put uh, Dahomey back in the middle. Oh wow! Okay. I, I, I'd put Dahomey up front with Cava. Oh, yeah, go, the, go to the four four two. Dahomey Cava up front. Yeah. I'd yeah. move Tybert to the wing, and Saicedo on the wing with Bikayo and Bikel or Baldy. Maybe Baldy actually, because Bikel didn't really impress me too much tonight. And I'd probably bring Derek Cornelius back into the back as well. I don't know if you want to make too many changes to the defence all at once, 
or whether you want to just do one at a time. But Gaspar has to start for me next week just to add some dynamic stuff up that that right side. Michael, you, you said Gaspar in, but then you also said Caicedo and Rusty wide? Yeah. How does that work? Because I'd have Gaspar as, as right back. Oh, sorry. Okay. Steve yeah. was talking about having him. Yeah, in he'd have him further up. I'd have him straight um, in at right back. No, I I, 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 I have, Jake has not really done that badly, so I would like to see him stay there and then put Bruno up top. He was not happy being taken off today. No, he wasn't. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I think both those are intriguing. I think Gaspar, I, I like to see him start and see what he contributes that way. But I don't mind what Steve says also as an option in terms of mm. keeping Jake and putting Gaspar on the right side. Uh, kind of what? like with Ali Adnan. Does anyone know? Or is Ali Adnan still? Is he still a white? Still cast? in Vancouver. He's still sorting out the visa things. The I, longer I, this goes on, this the better the good he does. On, it's really honestly, hard to see. Honestly, I don't even see at this point. This and I'm just speculating here. This seems like an excuse just to keep him off the team right now. And it so does that smell like that, yeah. They're going to arrange a deal for him to go somewhere else. Well, he's going to be buggering off to play for Iraq in a couple of weeks anyway and then have to quarantine when he comes back as well. Yeah. So yeah. so is that like, like the two questions that should be asked every every week to first are, where's the 10? What's going on with Ali? Are those asked every week? They are asked every single week to MDS. Third, yeah. third question, tell me more about Theo Bear. Yeah, that, that is the third one that's usually asked every week as well. And then I just throw something in about biscuits. Just to, the other, to the other reason, the, the other reason, water. yeah, the other reason I would want Bruno to play up top is because I don't want to put too much on him to play uh, defensively, uh, considering he's just coming into MLS. It gives him a little bit more freer range up top. Quick predictions for next week. I have the Whitecaps winning. They should be winning this game. I, I actually, I think this is going to end in a draw. I think one-one. But I, if, I was going to say nil-nil or 1-1. One, one, uh, if Toy doesn't play, I might fancy the Whitecaps for a 1-0 or 2-0 win. But we will have our preview show coming out during the week. We'll also have a special guest from Montreal that we'll have on the show as well. So watch for that in your inboxes. It's not Eric Hurtado, Zach. Don't. Or it, it might be. Maybe I'll reach out to Eric. He's not the most chatty, though, so I don't know. We'll, we'll see how that goes. But that is it for the MLS chat on the pitch. For the rest of the show, we're going to be looking at refereeing and we're going to be back with some chat about VAR and some interesting audio from Howard Webb and from Ishmael Elfath. And we'll be back with all of that after this. Hi, I'm Lucas Cavallini. You're listening to the AFT Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's friend of the show, 
from Edinburgh, one of the best rappers in Scotland. It's Word SOS. His new single that he had out this week is Word and Deco with a song called Push Forward. It's one of 13 new tracks from his album that is dropping on May 21st. So check that out on everywhere that you stream your music. You can check it out on YouTube as well. There's a a fun video. And it's a kind of two-part song as well. Starts off with Push Forward, then transitions into a song about Edinburgh. And we'll play you that version next week. But for this part of the show, we're going to be turning our attention to refereeing. And of course, referees were to the forefront in the Whitecaps game against Colorado. Couple of VAR decisions. One of them went in the Whitecaps' favour, saving Lucas Cavallini from getting a red card. One went against them, stopping them from getting a penalty. But, I mean, looking at VAR, VAR accuracy is over 98% in, in MLS. And in the, the pre-season, in the build-up to the, the start of the new season, MLS put on a number of conference calls and presentations, and one of them was at a fascinating chat with Pro General Manager Howard Webb and current MLS referee Ishmael Elfath. So there was a number of things that were discussed, and we're going to play a little bit of audio from that in this part. Now, one thing that Howard Webb said was, in his presentation which isn't part of the, the audio that I'm going to play you. I've just got the questions that he was asked. But he said that pro referees and MLS, they don't want to re-referee games. They want the referee to have the final decision. So that's why, Steve, they're not having these centralised decisions like you see in NFL, like we've talked about before. It's not something that looks like it's ever going to be coming in the foreseeable future to MLS. They want the referee on the pitch to be the guy that has the final decision, and you saw that tonight with, with Toledo uh, and, and his decisions. Now, there was 101 reviews in VAR in 2020, which works out at one every three games. 16, though, were missed, so there should have actually been 117 decisions, but 16 weren't referred, so that is kind of part of the, the error. It, it kind of... They said it kind of worked out at like one missed review every 20 games. Now, of the 2% that wasn't accurate in the VAR decisions, it was either because no VAR was initiated or the referee kept his original decision, like we saw with Toledo tonight. Now, 952 goals were awarded in 2020. 41 of those went to VAR. Like to, to re-look at them. Obviously, they're all looked at, but 41 called over for the referee to look at them, which was only 4%, showing how accurate referees get it on the pitch most of the time. Now, prior to VAR coming in, assistant referees and their offsides were 95% accurate. And of course, there is the this thing about linesmen shouldn't put their flags up just now, if they're not sure, if it's not clear-cut, and, and that can lead to some confusion. Uh, and the last thing, just to, to kind of talk about, the late start to the MLS season has allowed MLS to to bring in the new rules that the rest of football will be adopting in June 2021. The, the main things around that is redefining handball. So it, the, if it's a justifiable position, for the player's arm or hand or whatever to be, then that is okay. 
and for accidental handball for goals, if it's not the guy that puts the ball in the back of the net and it's in the build-up that there's been an accidental handball, that's not going to get called back. So that's the, the two big, big decisions in that. So, I mean, that, that was the main talking points that, that Howard Webb kind of went over in his initial presentation. I mean, what what is your thoughts on how VAR operates in MLS and just the standard at MLS refereeing just now? Because I think it has improved. Um, it has, but I feel like there are the, the calls are uh, not taking account into the... Um, the chances that the referee, like it's making it too perfect in a way. Um, I would like to see like when you mentioned that the central thing, I'm not saying that there has to be the referees up top making the decisions. That's just an option, but they should be the people that asking the referees to review that should be central. That way you get a more consistent review instead of being everywhere. um, Like some things are reviewed. Some things aren't reviewed. That's what I'm saying. The review Call should be more consistent, and that should be more central. Um, I just feel like the the whole thing about VAR was to make a very obvious mistake to correct that, but now they're just correcting every little chintzy call, and I'm not happy. I'm not really pleased with that, especially those offsides where they, uh, if somebody's like, you know, fingertip or toe is offside. Yeah, that the, annoys the call, me. The, those are the things that annoy me. I want, and I like the fact that the offside is still not 100%. I don't want VAR to be 98% correct. I just want them to I want it to be 100% because I want everything that was missed to be like reviewed and it has to be very clear and obvious. I I don't mind the clear and obvious thing. I just want them to actually implement that so it is very clear and obvious when like if somebody's you know 5 feet offside, that's the thing that should be missed. When somebody like right along if the ref, if the linesman didn't think it was offside, they should be let go. What about you, Zach? What what do you feel about the standard of refereeing just now? How VAR is implemented here? I think in our our decade of watching MLS matches together, I think the the bar has been very low for MLS officiating, mm. uh, and I think VAR has has helped that. Um, some of those numbers, I mean, there's some numbers I want to want I want to know more about. Like if if with if VAR is 98 percent right, and linesmen calling off sides on their own were 95 percent right. Did, did Webb talk about the percent that MLS referees get it right on their own at all before or like before VAR? Like, Actually, the, he missed that, that start out, funnily enough. Yeah. Um, but uh, like, I don't know. I think VAR has helped them get better for the most part. Uh, I, to me, like offside is a, uh, I know like Steve, I've heard other people share your opinion on, on, on offside and Michael, your opinion on offside, offside. But to me, it's kind of like a black or white thing. If it's a toenail, if it's a hair, whatever, it's offside, it's not offside. Like, just whatever. Like, it is or it isn't. Um, but, um, no, I, 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 yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, one question I would love to have asked or maybe ask someone off the record is, is the decision to not have a centralized thing, is that what went into that? Like, is that a, partly a financial thing? Like, having to have... No, it, it, it was addressed. It, it, it's solely because they want the man in the middle to feel that he's got the ultimate responsibility and that fans can see that it's him that is looking at it and making the final decision. Okay, it just, it just kind of... Some of the things are kind of weird because, like, with offside, for example, like, I yeah, I, I understand they're not putting their flag up right away because they don't want to stop play. For, they don't want a defender to be like, oh, his flag's up, I'm going to stop or whatever. 
But there were some, even like in tonight's Vancouver game, there were some awkward things where uh, Caicedo received, I think it was Caicedo, receives the ball com- utterly and completely offside. The flag stays down. Yeah. The play goes on and there's no goal. There's whatever. And then later he puts up his flag for offside. Like, I was just like, if, if I, I don't, like, I don't understand that. And, and so to me, again, I'm not saying this is what's happening, but it feels like someone's telling them, oh yeah, that was offside. You should, you know, give possession to the other team. Like, it just feels awkward when you don't know all the things that are going well, on. Well, like Colorado tonight in the second half, they, they, I can't remember who it was, but someone had a chance and he looked clearly offside when he received the ball. And then Max saved it and it went for a corner the linesman hadn't put his flag up so because of that the flag's not up there's no review so then Colorado get a corner which they could have scored from and then would they have gone back to review the initial offside I I no, don't know how have. far you take it back no they wouldn't have because it was a dead play that's that's yeah. what I'm talking about a very clear offside should be called offside no matter what whether it's do you want to they've been instructed to keep the flag on if it's very clear they should be called offside there should be any reason and that's why we're I remember so there were some plays back in the day where it was it was the, the guy was like you know six feet offside and they didn't call it because they the lines were missed it and the goal was scored. Those are the type of plays that I want to see reviewed, not the ones that are a foot or whatever. Like you, Zach, you could say a toenail if it's a, but would the naked eyes be able to see a toenail? So at this point, you're bringing uh, uh, yeah. technology in there to figure that out, and I don't want that. I I I like the lottery of human error but at the same time i'll be one of the first folk to to complain about it but i mean that's part of football and it's just like players make mistakes officials make mistakes yeah it can be really infuriating but i mean there's no going back now this isn't going to disappear from our game that that's the thing i i think they do it well here in North America, and it's not like the English system where it is micromanaged with all these lines and its toenails and, and everything like that. I, I just I think that is taking it too far. That was something that Jonathan Tannerwild, uh, our good friend from the show, asked Howard Webb and Ishmael Elfath in the Q&A section. Um, and there's a couple of other questions as well. Another one from Jonathan, one from myself. So I'll just play that audio just now. To be a referee, get him off, get him off. What a whistle and a little dried up bee. Where are we on VAR telemetry, which MLS is not traditionally used? Is it going to stay out this year? And the second is, you know, we were we were traded during the MLS's back tournament to some live broadcasting of the conversation between the referee on the field and the booth, uh, and that went away, and we knew that there was there was a lot of Back and forth about what that took, but are we any closer to that coming back? Yeah, I'll, I'll take those questions. Good to, to hear from you as always. Um, yeah, so taking the first question around the, the virtual offside lines is what you're referring to, I, I believe. Um, we won't be using them in MLS 2021. Um, the, the configuration of the cameras within our stadium doesn't really lend itself at the moment to the implementation of those lines. We have looked at them in... Um, in the last few few months to see um, whether or not they would be something we could utilize consistently across the, le- the league and across all games. Our conclusion was at the moment, it's not. So we will continue with the uh, methodology that we've used in previous years. The on-field decision will be made by the assistant referee in conjunction with the ref. 
Uh, of course, as I've said earlier, the, the benefit of the doubt in terms of any close offside situations will be given to the attacking team. Our assistants are good at what they do. We, we trust them. We believe in them. They, they have really good uh, performance uh, statistics over, over the last few years. And the VAR will have the job of then looking at the footage to decide, based on the best angles available, whether or not that on-field decision was a clear and obvious error. And if they don't have that uh, level of confidence that a clear and obvious error has occurred, then they will, they will check complete the situation. Um, that has been communicated to all of our competing clubs and to the media here today and to the broadcasters. So everybody's aware that, that is the, the process that we will be using. We'll keep things under review, but for now, that's where we are in 2021. In terms of the communication between the VAR and the referee, you're right. We did open up the, the channel in MLS's back down in Orlando and broadcast, at least I think on four occasions, the uh, the commentary between the, the officials. It's something that we're, we're working on behind the scenes to... Uh, see if we can continue that. We're working with uh, the International FA Board and FIFA around uh, potentially uh, looking at doing that again in the future um, as, a, as a pilot. Um, we're also speaking to other federations around the world that are interested in, in maybe also looking at doing that in their competitions. Uh, at the moment, we're not in a place to be able to uh, do that at the start of 2021. We'll obviously update you should that change, but we are uh, working behind the scenes. We thought it was successful. We thought there was some benefit in that, but we want to make sure that we, we do things in the right way with the right authorities from the right people before we, uh, before we do it again. I want to ask you about a particular bugbear of mine, which is the, the crowding of referees. Now, it's, it's different from your days, refereeing Howard. There's mechanisms in place now. There's fines in place, but I mean, Ishmael as well. As a current referee, how do you stop it? Because with VAR, it seems pointless because you're going to review the incidents anyway. But it just does not seem to be something that is dying out of the game. Yeah, you're right, Michael. It is it is not something we want to see. It's not something the fans want to see. It's not something what people at the stadium want to see. Um, so, I mean, it's part of, it's part of refereeing, it's part of management of players. Um, we want to eradicate it. We are establishing some techniques, obviously, for the experienced referees of trying to isolate players and tell them, yeah, I'll talk to you, but let's, let's go to the side and try to take one and speak to. Um, we also are trying also not to overreact. There are situations where we expect some immediate reaction from some players, but we don't want that to be more than two or three seconds and we want them to go away and we can talk to one, one player only. Um, and in some occasions, we are also being uh, firm by issuing dissent uh, caution so that we can pass on the message that this is not something we want to see, this is not something MLS or the fans want to see. Um, with VAR, I think overall we're noticing a bit less. Uh, from my experience, we're noticing a bit less, especially as players, they tell you, are you checking? And we explain that you were checking. They, they, they tend to, to, to ease off a little bit. Um, but, um, but, but, you know, it's, it's one of those things that uh, we are really monitoring hard uh, as we evaluate every game and we try to dissect it and see what can we have done better to, to, uh, to avoid this crowding of, 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 of referees. Um, I'm with you. I, I would like to see it completely eliminated. And just to, just to back on to what uh, Ishab as well, it, it, Michael, it's something we're really aware of. It's something we've, we've talked about pre-season. We've talked about um, 
how we can best handle this in terms of, you know, identifying those people who need disciplining on the field, uh, you know, when those types of mobbing, shall we say, of officials, you know, that, that happens sometimes on really clear decisions as well, some situations that are, you know, cut and dried. Um, but there's still this propensity for players to, to surround referees. It's been around for quite some time. And I think, you know, we, we can play a, certainly play a part on the field in terms of dealing with it there and then, and then, you know, post-event, then uh, disciplinary committees and what have you can deal with it afterwards. And the MLS have got a pretty rigorous process around discipline post-game. It's more rigorous than what I've seen elsewhere. Uh, and they do, uh, they do look at a lot of situations. But from our side, we take our responsibility around dealing with those people that need dealing with on the field, taking into account all of this, the things that it's just said around, you know, trying to understand immediate reactions and emotion but then also acknowledging that there's a line that, if crossed, should be dealt with firmly on the field. And, and we've looked at lots of clips in our pre-season work around referees being surrounded, how we can avoid it from happening in the first place, but once it does happen, how we can deal with it in a, in a really firm and robust way to prevent it from happening uh, in the future. Who to be a referee? Get him off, get him off! What a whistle and a little dry to be. It's no protection. For the things they throw Toilet rolls and bottles every time I blow So some interesting stuff from Howard Webb and Ishmael Elfath there. So I mean basically th there's not going to be lines in MLS anytime soon. But one of the other questions there that Jonathan asked was about the miking up of referees. Because I thought it worked really well in MLS's back. Everyone else seems to have thought that as well. And they are looking at maybe doing another project, maybe later in the year. I'm all for it. We've talked about it before. Just the more transparency you've got, I just feel it's better. Yeah, the communication thing does need to be better because there are other leagues and competitions where they tell you what's going on with VAR. Like no one's wondering or guessing or whatever. It says the play is under review or the goal is under review or whatever. I think they could do a lot better with that. And like... Yeah, I think one of the best things the last year and a half was when that Australian ref, when he was doing his last game in Australia, and they yeah. he was back up the whole game, and you could hear. I know, obviously, it was a good occasion, and everything went well, whatever. But that, that I think that would help uh, anger the players. I think, um, I, I think, yeah, the the, the the offside thing. I think you're bringing technology into it, whether it's a, a yard, six feet, uh, like a an inch or whatever. Like uh, to me. I mean, it's offside or it's, it, it isn't. Like, I know I know what you're saying in terms of, like, yeah, it's frustrating if it's – but I think those are only – those should only be – those are only an issue if there's a goal, right? Like, that's – so it's not like every every play is being called back to be looked at um, by the ref by the, by the the referee. The VAR people are looking at every single play, every single thing that happens in the game at every single angle that they can that they have time for, right? Um, but, yeah, to me it's – I don't know. I, I want I want to know when goals are, uh, you know, I want. And the other thing I think that this has done, Michael and Steve, is I think that it has also hopefully taken some of the taken some of the ability for people to influence football matches. I think it's taken some of that away from them. Right. Like we know what's going to happen. It's like people can't, you know. A a one referee or one referee's assistant can't, you know, hold things in his hand and be like, yeah, no, that's, 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 I'm going to allow that to be a goal, right? When it's offside, right? Because he's been paid off or whatever, right? Or influenced by, by a match fixer, right? So I think, I think, 
I think for football, the betterment of football, like that's one of the reasons I've so far, like far, and you know, I've, we've all seen good things and, and bad things happen with it and had good things happen to clubs we like and bad things happen to clubs, clubs we like in the same way we saw with referee, like before this. So I, I, I don't know. I think, yeah, it's here to stay. Yeah. I, don't think it's, I don't think it's going anywhere. And so hopefully it can just get better. Well, I mean, one thing I did learn from stuff that Howard Webb said was that I didn't know that pro referees on their Twitter account for every VAR review, they tweet out why it's being looked at and what the outcome is. Really? So that was yeah. That was something I didn't know was was the case. Oh yeah. That see that's they should be communicating that. Mm-hmm. Well, why if if you do it on Twitter though, why not do the live broadcast? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Also on the pro uh, referees website on a Monday, they go through all the decisions and they make videos and there's lots of things like that, which I I did know, but it's like I don't know how many other people around the league know. Or, or care, really. But. And they were doing that before, Var. Michael, I think you were there at the MLS Cup 2009 in Seattle. When we went to all the, the fan and supporter stuff behind the MLS Cup there. They uh, One of the sessions I went to, was uh, they were talking about that. They were talking about how the referees got it right, how they got it wrong, how they deal with them, all these kinds of things. So they, they were doing this before before, before Var, and they're, they're hopefully just getting better with, you know, with Var in, in it as well. Now, another interesting discussion that I had this week uh, with Mark DeSantis and Philadelphia Union's Jim Curtin was around the scouting of referees. Now, I I imagined that teams would see, oh, it's, it's Toledo that's a referee this weekend. We know he gives a lot of cards. And that was pretty much it. But it seems to go a lot more in depth to that. But before we get into it, let me just play you a little bit of audio from, first of all, Jim Curtin, talking after his side's uh, Champions League game this week, and then a little bit from MDS, just talking about the scouting of referees. Hi Jim, congratulations on the win. Thank you. Looking in from afar, watching two MLS teams with an MLS referee, but it felt that it was refereed very differently to a normal league game. Did it feel like that on the bench? And if so, did, did you enjoy that? So uh, I thought early, Jair, he had, you know, we, we as a club, we scout the referees uh, just like we scout the opponent. Uh, so we, we're dialed in uh, in terms of the their fouls called, their yellow cards, who's quick to, you know, maybe point to the spot, uh, how they are with VAR. So we have as much data on them as possible. Jair certainly is a, a referee who, uh, and I like it, lets things play, uh, especially early on. Um, so we knew it was going to, we were going to be able to get away with being physical. Um, I prefer that way. I prefer that the players, uh, you know, kind of sort it out on the field and, and it's not, everything is a, uh, a touch foul. Um, you know, look, no question Atlanta is a great team and they have a ton of dynamic one V one attackers. Um, but the referee, uh, you know, I thought was fair and, and let things play and let us be physical. Uh, and again, you know, we utilize that to, to our advantage, but, uh, it, you know, look, Refereeing is a thankless job. Um, you know they get they get blamed for things. Uh, you know it's not a not a job that uh, I think it's a, a lot of you know fairness to it. Um, I think we're all hard on the referees, but I, I thought tonight they did a great job. Uh, and it needs to be said. I, I agree with your, your observation that it had a playoff feel to it. It had an intensity and a pace that um, the way I describe that to our guys, it's it's a it's a big boy game. You know, these are these are the real games you want to play in. You, you you blink and you look up at the the clock, and all of a sudden, fifteen minutes have gone by because it's so intense. It's tackle, it's mistake, it's counter, uh, it's recovery sprint. 
Um, you know, it's not an easy game to referee, but I thought overall uh, they did a good job. And I'm not just saying that because we won. Speaking to Jim Curtin after the game last night, we're talking about the referee and he said something which had I'd never really crossed my mind before, that he said that they tend to scout the referees before a game as much as the opponents, just to see when they give cards out, what you can get away with. Is that something that, that you guys do a lot of as well? We do it also, yes. We know the ref is, we, we, we knew that the ref Marufo, the last referee we got, uh, is a ref that lets the game uh, play a lot, doesn't like to call a lot of fouls, lacks the play to go. And that's why maybe the call on Beak, on Caio, uh, that it wasn't a foul for him when it was a foul in a yellow card, at least. Um, but we we do we have a picture of the ref in our wall every week. We change that picture, so we know who it is, and we we like to get as much information as we can. Interesting. Thanks so much, Mark. Thank you, Jim Curtin and MDS. There, so Jim Curtin says they scout referees nearly as much as they scout opponents. They they look at the tendency of a referee to. How much do they let go in games? When do they tend to give out their first yellow card? How physical can the players be? What can they get away with? And Jim Curtin talked about that game midweek in the Champions League against Atlanta. They had Jeremy Rufo as the referee. So they knew how physical they could be off the bat. And they were pretty physical off the bat. There were some heavy tackles flying in that game. So they knew how far they could push them. And then once they'd pushed him how far not to go and, and stuff like that, Mark DeSantis talked about every week they put a picture of the referee up in the, the dressing room so the players know who they're going to be facing. He didn't mention if they threw darts at it or not, but I didn't think it would be that in-depth. I mean, did you? Well, I, I, I thought that they would be scouting referees. It makes sense for them to do it. But to to my that big- extent? Yeah, I do because you got to get take every advantage you can out of every. I, I think every league has a, a book on a referee. The surprising thing was that they actually admitted that they do that mm. because then you're just giving the referee an idea that oh they're looking out for this. I'm going to call this because they're they're actually watching me. I would never admit to that. That's like if I would say smart to referee scout the referees really stupid to admit that in a press conference. Well, I, to, agree, I agree with Steve. To, to be fair, Curtin was the one that brought it up, and then I asked MDS about it, so I guess he had to answer. No, I'm, I'm talking about Curtin, like yeah. it, and then and then also giving specific examples. That makes no sense at all. Yeah, if you're Marufo and you're and you're, there's no way Marufo is not going to hear about this. Mm-hmm. Like, are you not going to approach your next Philadelphia Union game in a different way? Hundred percent, I would. Thirty seconds, yellow card. Yeah. <laughs> Take that, um, Santo. So, yeah, I agree with Steve. I'm not surprised that they do it, but the fact that they decided to disclose it in that way is a little bit weird. I thought uh, Jim Curtin yeah. was smart. Yeah. Like, oh, I was very impressed with that. That thought never actually crossed my mind, what you guys have just said. But now that you've said that, it's like, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it it, it is. that. That's a little bit weird. I, I, uh, I'd i love to see some of the, the actual scouting on the ref, so that would make fascinating reading. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, they would definitely be talking about, you know, who gives out uh, or, yeah, what, what they'll let go and who gives out cards. So the, one, the one thing that I found interesting in this whole referee and VAR discussion, and we've touched on it briefly in the past or we've talked casually about it, I'm, I'm surprised that um, 
we we're still getting the mass encounters with the referee, you know, yeah. in the bar era over things like goals and red cards. It's like, oh well, yeah, because I mean that think- that that was my question to Webb and Elfath, because you've got VAR, you know every decision's getting looked at. It's such a bugbear of mine. Yeah, you, you and they have the ability to you know book people for that kind of stuff or uh, find teams or whatever and stuff. You think they would in the era of VAR? You think they would maybe lay down a marker a little bit more to kind of stamp that thing out? Because uh, you know, like I said in the past, it's not a it's not a positive thing in in football. I don't think anyone looks at that and like you know, son, daughter, yeah, make sure you play, make sure you do that, <laughs> you know, at your next game. But like the Miami game today. I don't. I don't know if you guys saw that this afternoon. The Miami players were around the referee a lot, looking for cards, and just there was a lot of mass confrontation. I would be very surprised if they don't pick up a fine for that. And Golden Ball's uh, buddy there said the referee got it right, right? Yeah. So I mean, he was fine with it, and I think he probably was right. It was a dog so incident. If anyone didn't see it, but yeah, the Miami players a couple of times were totally crowding the. Quite a young referee as well. I think it was his brother who's more about winding up referees and, and opposing supporters. Yeah. Like I don't understand how this keeps getting on. Like I don't I don't recall another sport where the referee gets so disrespected on the pitch. Mm. Like even hockey, you get uh only one the only one person approaches the play uh, if there's a, any issues. Every sport. If a if a, in basketball, if if a referee gets looked at sideways, he gets a technical foul. So I don't understand how this the soccer referees, uh, uh, football referees get away with this at all. I it, totally agree. Yeah. Like, yeah, the goal, the standard for, for, I hate to say this, but the standard, like we've, we've said this before, the standard for footballers should be what the egg chasers do, right? Yeah, they they have conversations. It's cordial. It's whatever you know. It's everyone knows that the referee has a tough job, and they respect him, and they treat him well, and he has conversations with them and he tells them what's happening and why it's happening and you move forward. Like, yeah, it's, I don't know if it's because, yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't want to speculate on why it is, but it, I, I hope that it cha- changes. Maybe we can get Matthew McConaughey, the minister of culture to look into that. That'd be excellent. We'll get on the show to talk about it. I mean, the other bugbear of mine is players stopping free kicks, getting taken early and getting away with it. And Toledo, booked the Colorado player tonight for doing that, and I loved that. It's like, good, book him, stop that, I hate it. But anyway, we're going to continue our referee chat with a look at the new concussion substitution protocols, and we'll be back chatting about that after this. Hi, I'm Ricardo Clark. You're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Ты болишь, свои шлюхи, и забери свои друзья, болишь, свои шлюхи. 
Welcome back to the final part of this episode of the AFTN Soccer Show. And kicking off this part, you may remember them as Artists of the Month in March. Out of Russia, DLB, this is their new single that was just released this week. Shluka, to give it its Russian name. And if you want to check out the video for that on YouTube, highly recommend you do. Their YouTube channel is Grupa, DLB. G-R-U-P-P-A-D-L-B It's a 360 degree virtual reality video So depending on what you watch it on It gives you the opportunity to kind of move around the video 360 degrees, you can follow the band around You can see what's going on in the, the hall that they've recorded it If you've got a VR headset as well You can be part of the action It's a lot of fun, it's a really good song So I highly recommend you checking that out but for this final part of this episode, we're going to continue the refereeing chat. And I want to turn my attention this part to the, the new concussion protocols that are in effect in Major League Soccer this season. Now, as of right now, the concussion protocols have not been used yet. But MLS is one of the leagues selected for the project by FIFA. It was announced just before the season started that MLS would take part in that project for the 2021 season. And I'm very delighted to hear about that. Basically, in short, two subs are going to be allowed for concussions. And that's going to be decided by medical professionals. So just to to read a little bit of the press release. Above and beyond the five normal substitutions and three opportunities, which is what it is just now, each team will be permitted to make up to an additional two concussion substitutions when there is a suspected or a possible concussion. These two concussion substitutions are permitted regardless of how many normal substitutions or opportunities have been already used. A concussion substitution may be made immediately after a concussion occurs or is suspected, after an on-field assessment and or after an off-field assessment, or at any other time when a concussion occurs or is suspected, including when a player has previously been assessed and has returned to the field of play. When a concussion substitute is used, the opposing team then has the option to use an additional substitute and an additional substitution opportunity for any reason which may or may not be used at the same time as the opposing team's concussion substitution. A team's additional substitute can only be used after the team has used all its normal substitutes or normal substitute opportunities. I won't bother going into all the rest, but I mean... What's your thoughts on that, Steve? I think it's a great I think advancement. It definitely is, but I think they've made it a little bit too complicated. Yeah, like this that, I, I, yeah. <laughs> Even listening to you read it and reading myself, I felt like I, I think that what you do is you don't do the whole two substitution thing, uh, the two additional. What you do is you if a if a player needs to be assessed, you allow the other team to put somebody in in their place just while they're being assessed off the field. If they need, sometimes they need to go back to the locker room and you make that assessment under the, you know, independent doctor. And then that player then can come back on the field after they've been taken off because they've been assessed there. They say they're okay. Usually uh, I'm assuming doctors can usually assess them within on the field. Like in the NFL, they take them to that. uh, I don't know if you're anybody's ever seen it, the blue tent that's behind the bench and everything. So they, so they take them in there into a quiet area. They assess them. So there's no other, like, uh, uh, whatever you call it, 
like lights and everything, like whatever they have there. So it basically takes them into a dark space, dark place, and then they 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 do the assessment. If the player is good to go, you take them on. You take the other player off. But but they just need to do that where they can just make the assessment. So they're not they're not uh, forcing the player to come off the pitch and not coming back because a player might say, "Oh, I don't want to come off because I'm I'm fine. I can I can work through this." And that's where you get into the problems. I've I've probably brought this up many times before, but remember that German player in the World Cup that was um, concussed, and uh, essentially it, it 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 I think yes. he, he was he 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 was on the field for so long yeah. before they finally took him off, and he looked concussed, and he probably didn't want to say anything to the his coach because he didn't want to come off the field. So I I feel like. You have the thing where you bring the guy off, you put you you can put an immediate player back on, but that player is just a temporary until he becomes permanent. If they say that he does have a concussion, then that's a permanent substitution. Otherwise, it's a temporary one. That's what I feel like they should move more towards instead of making it too complicated like they're doing right now. I like the fact that the decision is going to be made by the medical professionals. It's not yeah. the teams that have to make it because you no know teams are going to be like trying to to fudge the system and, and whatever if they can. So I like that aspect of it. This is long overdue. Yeah. And as you say, that's a great example. That that German player should never have been back on the pitch. And there's been other guys, even Whitecaps guys, where we've seen like head knocks and you're like, should they be back on? But teams feel it's need must. In leagues around the world where they're maybe fighting for relegation or they're they're fighting for championships, they, they maybe feel they have to to keep these guys on because of that again wrongly and they shouldn't be doing that so I really like this I hope the pilot takes off I'm interested to, to see it in action and Zach you got any thoughts on on concussion substitutions yeah I think uh, it's a step in the right direction uh, I think it's nice to see them be maybe proactive is not the right term but taking steps um, as opposed to you know other leagues have, you know, done stuff to maybe uh, hide from the from the reality of of, of uh, blows to the head. Um, so I think that's good. I, I I just hope we don't see it abused, right? Like, yeah. I mean, in fo- I mean, in football simulation uh, is a a real thing that FIFA hasn't done all they could do to stamp out of the game. Um, I, I think they should and could do even more on that. Um, and with VAR, they you know they could do it even in the game. Um, but, and they are a little bit, I guess, but, um, yeah, I just hope you don't, you don't want to see someone, uh, fake symptoms or, you know, know how to answer the question so that, you know, they can get an extra substitution or whatever, right. You hope people will be honest about it. And, um, but in principle, I think it's uh, a, a great thing and I hope it's used well and I hope it helps, uh, prevent further or worsening, uh, head injuries. Yep. Absolutely. So that's some of our thoughts on the issue of concussion protocols in, in games and the, the importance of having the, this project, which hopefully will be a success. Now, as I mentioned in the last part, in the build-up to the MLS season, MLS put on a, a number of conference calls and presentations about various aspects of the league. In the last part, we heard a little bit from Pro General Manager Howard Webb and current MLS referee Ishmael Elfath talking about VAR. They also touched on the subject of concussion protocols. So I want to bring you their thoughts on the issue just now. Particularly interesting because obviously Elfath is going to be a current referee and he's going to be one of the guys used to kind of implementing this new protocol this season. And after we hear from them, we're going to hear a little bit of audio 
from Jeff Agus, former MLS and US national team player and current vice president of competition in Major League Soccer. And he's going to talk a little bit about the implementation of the policy in the league and why it was important for MLS to be a part of this project. I'm a little bit hazy on this. So I was curious from a match official perspective, um, you know, if, if you see a situation in which a player looks like they may have suffered a head injury, but you all, I think in most cases or all cases are not medical professionals yourselves, what is the responsibility of the match officials in those situations? Is that something where uh, the mandate is to allow the medical professionals to take in, you know, all of the responsibility in those situations? Or is there a, a scenario in which you see a player who may be woozy, may look like they, they may have suffered a head injury, and you alert someone um, in order to kind of uh, see if they need a review and, and, and perhaps need to come out of the, the match? We do take some responsibility. Um, as part of our yearly training, both through pro and through uh, MLS Medical, is we, uh, we're made aware of the signs of a concussion and we're in the lookout for them. Um, and there's obviously the four of us on the field. The VAR is also in communication with us. And the moment any of us notices any of those signs of a concussion of someone, as you said, not walking right, not looking right, uh, not moving the way we expect a player to move, we immediately are um, you know, stopping the game, alerting medical personnel to come in. And, and, and another area also is that we tell medical personnel is, if you notice someone at a grave danger for their safety, things like uh, either concussion or heart conditions, to also um, uh, just uh, immediately alert the fourth official and the fourth official within a second will possible stop the game as well. Um, and we go from there. But so, so, so we try to be part of the solution and we use some of the training and some of those um, indicators that uh, are provided to us so that we can uh, add some seconds to the response time. Ish, can I just add something as well in terms of concussion substitutes? Everything Ish just said is absolutely relevant and, and correct. We, we, we won't play any part in, in the uh, determination around whether uh, a substitution should be a concussion substitution or a normal substitution. I know there's another session, I think, uh, which Crystal will talk, talk to, I think, following this one, which Jeff Agius will, will deliver around how we're going to use concussions. So as we, we support the implementation at Pro, but our officials won't play any part in actually making a determination whether or not a player is or isn't concussed or, or suspected of being concussed or whether or not the, the process should involve the use of a concussion. So that's for other uh, specialists to uh, to make those determinations. But as Ish said, our primary concern is always around player welfare, stopping the game should we identify that a player is in, in need of some attention, be that for head injury or any other, any other reason. That's always our first concern. MLS will be implementing the concussion substitute initiative. This is new. Um, and this, is, again, is a good area where the medical and the competition piece dovetail into one area. Um, importantly, the concussion substitute really prevents a player, uh, or we hope to, pre to prevent a player from sustaining a second concussion in the match. And really, the protocols are in place to try to prevent uh, uh, further, further injury to players. It sends a really strong message that uh, maximizes player welfare and allows the player you know, to be replaced on a permanent basis. So there really isn't a numerical or a tactical disadvantage when, when we are prioritizing 
uh, that player uh, uh, welfare. Importantly, um, it also reduces a lot of pressure on the medical personnel to, to have to make a, a quick decision. So prior to this, uh, there was a lot of pressure put on our medical staffs to get a player back in the game when, in fact, that person may have needed more evaluation or we could have uh, provided a substitute <clears throat> that was, that was um, more narrow and more focused on concussion substitutes. MLS has been focused in this area for a number of years, and uh, we've had a dedicated concussion committee uh, with leading experts in the field and our Players Association, um, and we've really been a leader advocating for concussion substitutes and are really excited uh, about trialing uh, this in the 2021 season. As MLS uh, moved further uh, along, we had opportunity to uh, look at two different protocols, protocol A and protocol B, and really the differentiating aspect between those two protocols was the number of substitutes used and uh, the ability to keep competitive integrity. In, in protocol A, we were only allowed, uh, as per the protocol, uh, to provide one additional substitute, and the opponent was not able to use any substitutes uh, when a concussion substitute was made. Protocol B, which we will be implementing for the season, allows a maximum of two concussion substitutes to be used by a single team, and then their opponent gets the ability to use an additional substitute when a concussion substitute is made. So again, um, we, we continue to prioritize our, our, our role here. Uh, we, we are, and you'll hear this quite often, we are uh, really engaged in, in making sure that player health and safety is, is really, really important. We are also part of a concussion task force that uh, we're part of with U.S. soccer and many of the other professional leagues um, here in the United States. Um, so we, we really think that this is a, a way forward in terms of prioritizing the health and safety of player while balancing uh, that really important competitive issue uh, that we know uh, teams will uh, be questioning us and, and, and obviously other questions that will come regarding the integrity. Just looking at the the concussion protocol side of things, it, it's something I think that's been been needed for a while. Why do you think it's taken so long for the game to get to this level to to be looking at these kind of subs? Yeah, it's a great question, Mike. We're really excited about this. Also, we've been advocating for a number of years. Obviously, competition within our federation under FIFA, we can, we have to work within the laws of the game, and the laws did not allow a concussion substitution until earlier this year. Uh, behind the scenes, we've really been advocating strongly for this type uh, of initiative. And I think the science has really been pushing forward to finally have this type of opportunity uh, to materialize. So we are not the only competition that uh, has implemented this. I know the Premier League has as well. Other competitions have evaluated it. Uh, but we have been a staunch advocate of uh, the concussion substitution uh, for a number of years and have really been lobbying um, IFAB and FIFA for a number of years for this type of substitution to occur. So Howard Webb, Ishmael Elfath and Jeff Agus there just talking about the new concussion protocol that's going to get rolled out in Major League Soccer this season. As I mentioned, so far we haven't seen it in use in MLS play Pretty sure it will be used sooner rather than later, though. And it, it is something that is long overdue, I feel, not just in this league, but throughout world football. 
I remember before we did the AFT and soccer show back in 2012 and start of 2013, I did another podcast with Pierce Lang called uh, the West Coast Soccer Weekly. And we actually had Taylor Twellman on that show just talking about concussions and the importance of it in the game and how there needed to be a change. Now that's nine years have passed since we had that discussion with Twellman and it's taken this long for, for something to be in place. Thankfully we've got that now. As I mentioned, hopefully it is a big success and can be rolled out throughout football from the 2022 season. But of course, one of the the big burning questions hanging over it is, can it be misused? Can teams perhaps fake a concussion to get another sub on if they're needing to chase a goal or if they're needing to shut a game down? Now, the guys, as you heard off there, felt that there is going to be procedures in place to stop that happening. But also, as part of this protocol... If a team does make a concussion substitution, then the opposition can also make a a substitution at the same time. So having this in place does open up a question around game management. Not so much gamesmanship, as I touched on there, but actual game management. Do head coaches need to think about who they have on the bench? just in case they do need to make a concussion protocol, just to make sure they have every possible area of the field covered. Well, that was something I put to Whitecaps head coach MDS. Here's his thoughts on the matter. I was wanting to ask you about the new MLS concussion protocols, which it's exciting that MLS is one of the pilot leagues for it and something I feel is very long overdue in the sport. Just get your basic thoughts on it. And is that maybe going to to change how you maybe put your bench out for some games, knowing that if a team makes a concussion protocol, you've got an extra sub and you might need to be able to replace guys yourself. Is it maybe going to dictate certain positions that you might want more coverage on on the bench than you maybe normally would? Yeah, it's a really good question. Uh, I think it it depends the positions. It depends on the history. Maybe you have a player that has an history of concussion and he plays in a certain position and then you could think about that. Um, those subs are very rare. They happen. They're dangerous and we have to be aware of that. But they're very r- r- rare. They need to happen when um, there's five subs and then we get that extra one. Um, I'm going to be v- very curious to see how many times this season that happens. Um, But of course, it gives respect and it gives a lot of uh, attention to how a concussion injury is being looked at as a very serious thing. Um, Because before, if you would make back then, the three subs are now the five subs and there's a concussion, it looks like you're, you're now... Uh, punished for the concussion and you can make subs and you're playing with 10. And right now, the way the the MLS is looking at is really in a serious way uh, to say this is a different type of substitution. This is one that has to be made. It's not related to tactical. It's not related to performance. It's related to something serious that we want to take care of. Uh, But I'm going to be curious to see how many times that's going to happen this season, but it's good to know that we have it if if that happens. 
I think in the past as well, players have kind of, if you ask a player, I, do you want to go on? They're always going to say, yeah, I want to go on, whether they're, they're con- concussed or not. Do you think this might get players more in the mindset of, look, I can go off, it's not going to be detrimental to the team? Yes, of course, that's going to happen. You'll always have the players that never want to come out, you know, and uh, depending on the importance of the game, some guys are going to say they're fine. But but I remember, I think, in in Dallas in 2019, if I'm not mistaken, or Andy or Ali um, had to come off and we end up uh, being a player down for those rest of minutes because of of the of the the concussion protocol. So for sure that for any coach, it helps that extra one. Whitecaps coach Mark DeSantis there talking about concussion protocols and how it could affect game management and how you pick squads for for these matches. But that is it for our chat about refereeing for this episode. But this episode is not quite over yet. It's still time for this week's Wavelength. It's a new month and I'm going to have a topic for the songs that we play this month. And the topic, it's one that we've done before for Wavelength. It's songs about specific footballers. And I'm going to kick things off with a song from 1999 from Japanese Shibuya Kai artist Yakuri Fresh. It's something a little bit different, something different sounding to other stuff that we've played on the show, especially in Wavelength. This is their song about former Manchester United footballer Paul Scholes. S-C-A-O-L-E-S 
you carry fresh there, Japanese artist from their 1999 album New Year's Fresh with their song about former Manchester United footballer Paul Scholes. But that is it for this episode of the AFTN Soccer Show. I hope you've enjoyed it. Another varied chat. Just before we go, guys, though, let everyone know where they can find you online. Starting with Steve. You can find me on Twitter at WhitecapSpeed. You can find me back on Twitter at ZacharyAM. I'm Michael McCall. You can find me online at AFTN Canada. Read all our stuff away from the numbers, AFTN.ca. We'll be back with another midweek podcast. Joe will be back looking ahead to the Montreal Impact game next Saturday. Until then, make sure you give us a follow on YouTube as well. YouTube.com backslash Canada. Please subscribe and turn on notifications as we will have some more live videos coming up this month, including our very first ever AFTN quiz night. We've penciled in Saturday, May 29th for that one. So put that date in your diary. But that is it for this episode of the show. We'll be back soon. Until then, thanks for listening. Take care and mourn the caps. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.